Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast welcome in everybody it is december 17th according to my count it may not be that according to your count but we still appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be stopping in Make sure to leave those five-star reviews and downloads and follows on Apple Podcasts. Trying to get another record-setting month here on the Take It Easy podcast, and we so much appreciate all of your support. It's a Stripe Hype Friday, everybody. Another really fun Stripe Hype Friday. Great flow, great conversation today. We talk about the Urban Meyer news a lot. Uh, We also play a fun game of a confidence index of sorts. I create weird rules for a weird game as Blake Jude and I draft some teams for the 2021 NFL playoffs, which just got a whole lot more spicy because of what happened on Thursday. And you're going to hear me on this podcast that was recorded about, you know, noon West Coast time on Thursday, just kind of like dismiss the idea that the Chargers lose to the Kansas City Chiefs and say, yeah, I assume the Chargers will have lost at this point. The Chargers will lose by two touchdowns. The Chargers will have the same record as the Bengals, assuming the Bengals beat the Broncos. Because I just assumed that the Chiefs would win. The Chiefs were going to win the AFC West. The Chiefs are better than the Chargers. And holy shit, what a game. Shout out to my man Adam Lefko, who had the, the tweet of the night for me that this Chargers and Chiefs game feels like when two 12-year-olds are playing Madden. The Chargers did not punt the ball until there were 25 seconds left in the fourth quarter. That was the first time the Chargers punted all game. Took three incompletions and a penalty for the Chargers to punt with 39 seconds left. And even then, we still kind of thought Patrick Mahomes was going to lead them on a comeback. Mahomes just straight missed a wide receiver wide open on a flat in the, for a touchdown. Just straight threw the ball right into the ground. Got picked off at his own three-yard line. Got, fumbled the ball in a two-minute drill at the end of the first half. And still... Still, the Chiefs ended up winning the game. It was just chaos. It, when Mahomes spiked the ball into the ground to Meikle Hardman on fourth down for what would have been a touchdown, that's when you just knew you were in the middle 
of a classic Chargers chaos game. You just knew right then you were right in the middle of a Chargers chaos game. And lo and behold, it ends with a ridiculous Travis Kelsey touchdown where we've been saying for weeks the Chargers' issues are they just lack talent. They're issues that have to be addressed in the offseason. They'll probably be a six-and-a-half-point underdog for whoever they play in the wild card, or they'll miss the playoffs this year. I think they'll make the playoffs, but they're fighting for one wild card spot with the Bengals. We'll talk about that a little more later. And that's, again, you just saw it right at the end. It's just Derwin James gets hurt. They have no linebackers. And Travis Kelsey just runs right around their entire defense. Just whoop, 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 up and down the field, right around their defense. And the Chiefs win for the sixth consecutive year, lock up the AFC West, hit that mother effing music. Just slather that music all up and down my body. All of it. I want all the Patrick Mahomes love. All of it. Give me all of it. 400 passing yards. Three touchdowns. All in the final 20 minutes of the game. Kansas City scored 22 points. Converts a two-point conversion. Scrambling to his right for a 33-yard run with a minute and a half left to go. Just slather all of that up and down. Give me all the Patrick Mahomes love, baby. Because the Mahomey hype train rolls on. Give me the music again. Oh my gosh, that game was so chaotic. By the way, just in case you didn't notice, we're recording this about 30 minutes or so after. Consider this the Chiefs-Chargers post-game show with no time to apply nuance or any kind of presentability to this because that was just absolutely stupid fun between the Chiefs and Chargers. Uh, That was the best possible result that could have happened. You had a chaos game. You had the Chiefs leading a comeback the way the Chiefs do. I, I know people like the, the Mahomes thing kind of gets annoying as I can tell over on comical sports because I know it's annoying when people do it for other players when people do it for Tom Brady it's annoying when people do it for Josh Allen it's annoying when people do it for Russell Wilson it's annoying sometimes when people do it for Aaron Rodgers it's annoying it's less annoying with Aaron Rodgers but it's still annoying I get it the Mahomes stuff is kind of annoying but The reason I love Mahomes so much is because Patrick Mahomes is a lot of the reason why all of this exists. Patrick Mahomes reinvigorated my love for football during that year he won the MVP in 2018 when he was doing all that ridiculous, crazy shit. I was watching that in in a time after... The Chargers left San Diego, and I'm a San Diegan through and through, and I was getting off that football narcotic, and I had tried a fandom with the Falcons in the aftermath, and the Falcons did what they did in the Super Bowl, and I just got off that football narcotic, and I was kind of like roaming around trying to figure out where I fit in the football pantheon, and Patrick Mahomes brought that back. 
the fun of football brought me back in. It, I call it renewing my vows with football. Not like the marriage ever ended. I was still as a high schooler watching an exorbitant amount of Red Zone, talking about it with my friends every now and then on Monday, but no real creative outlet to talk about football. And a year or so later, after that Mahomes season, all of this came into focus. And three years later, Patrick Mahomes has gone winning a Super Bowl when he should have won an MVP, winning 27 of 28 starts that he has. The Kansas City Chiefs get to the Super Bowl again, lose that Super Bowl in crazy fashion. Last year, they were a, 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 one of the greatest regular season teams in the history of the NFL. Lose the Super Bowl to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just dominate everybody the year they lose the Super Bowl. This year, they're on a crash course for the Super Bowl again, and in 2018, they were going. They were the number one seed going to make the Super Bowl, if not for a coin toss that gave the ball to Tom Brady before them, D4 jumping offsides, and a third down conversion by the New England Patriots with Rob Gronkowski three different times. Like, if not for that, the Kansas City Chiefs are on their way to, what, their fourth Super Bowl with Maybe with, I mean, hard to argue one of the greatest offensive coaches of the last 25 years in Andy Reid with that quarterback. It's really a a love of, it's a love with Patrick Mahomes for me personally that probably gets annoying, but that part leads me into what I wanted to talk about with the Chargers, my former childhood love that I no longer have any a connection or affiliation for. In fact, even a little disdain for Dean Spanos, which is less than it used to be. When it first left, it was like, bleep Dean Spanos. I hate Dean Spanos. And Dean Spanos stole uh, uh, my city, my 619. Shout out to San Diego. We're actually back in San Diego for this right now. So, you know, my hometown stole that team from us and stole it from people a generation above me and two generations above me, stole that team from them and stole that team from me, who I fell in love with as a child and, and in the case of my brother, cried over when they choked in the playoffs and, and really, really got emotionally invested in that team as the number one fandom at a time where the Padres didn't make the playoffs one time for my entire childhood and the Chargers were that team. I feel nothing for them anymore. And it was like getting off of a narcotic. And, and it really changed the way I think of sports fandom. I think all of this, if you want to do the butterfly effect of what all of this is with the Instagram and the podcast and the creative outlets and the way that I talk about sports as more like objective than anything else and not from a fan, like not irrational at all, except about Patrick Mahomes every now and then, a lot of that comes from. The char- you can start a butterfly effect of the Chargers leaving San Diego to this, to what this podcast is, to what our Instagram is, to all the cre- to the analysis that we do that's way more nuanced than it probably should be and never overreacting to one week. All of that stems from not wanting the irrational pain of losing a sports team and being told irrationally that you're supposed to feel bad about losing a sports team, knowing that you don't want to root for that team anymore, but having the irrational fandom of if this team doesn't play here, I don't like them anymore. And if I don't, you know, if if they play here, I love them. And if they don't play here, I hate them. And then it can actually do real grief and effects to me. And going through that process of grief made me realize 
all of this is really, really dumb. Sports fandoms are really weird and really dumb, but it means a lot to a lot of people, and that's a big part of why sports as a whole are awesome to me. What all of this is leading to to talking about the Chargers is the Kansas City Chiefs are... I would argue the greatest dynasty I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Now, I've lived through the entire Patriots dynasty. The only real period of time of sustained success you could point to and say this is the Patriots dynasty, other than 10 consecutive AFC championships, is three Super Bowls in five years playing in four Super Bowls in five years. I think the 10 consecutive AFC championship games does it. But if you want to take that out of the equation and just talk about the New England Patriots in the context of, play, uh, if you want to take the Patriots out of this conversation, there is no question the next great, the, the closest thing to the New England Patriots that has existed or possibly will exist for 10 years in my lifetime is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs of the last, you could go five years or I would go all the way to six years, even though it's year four of Patrick Mahomes and the fact that this is their fourth consecutive year where they're probably going to get the one seed in the AFC and they're going to probably make the AFC championship for the fourth consecutive year. Even though this is year four of Mahomes, I think the dynasty for the Chiefs goes back six years. And why six feels appropriate is because before that, the Chiefs were playing wild card games where they were up against Andrew Luck by 28 points and they end up losing. Like, those exist. But the reason I think that six years is an appropriate measure to do the Chiefs dynasty is because six years ago, Peyton Manning retired. It's weird to think that that was six years ago, but it was six seasons ago Peyton Manning retired. Since Peyton Manning retired, the Kansas City Chiefs have won, or, or this year will win the AFC West for six consecutive years. And not only will they win the AFC West for six consecutive years, not even a contest for six consecutive seasons, the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West. Longest active streak in football. The Patriots are the only thing close to that in the last two decades where they went nine in a row and 10 in a row during the Brady-Belichick run. I guess actually 2002 they didn't. So I guess it would be 18 out of 20. Patriots won 18 out of 20 AFC East titles. So I guess it would be what, 9 and 9 if we're Oh wait, no, and Tom Brady gets hurt. So it's like 7 and 11, I think it was. 11 straight division titles before last year, 7 before that. The Chiefs are at 6. And Kansas City has dominated that division the same way the Patriots have dominated that division. And when it was last year, and we were talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, like the regular season doesn't matter anymore for the Chiefs, the, the best team in football by, I mean, one of the best regular season teams I've ever watched, just absolutely dominated the entire season. They lose in the Super Bowl because of injuries and bad luck, the same way that the Patriots lost in 2007 when they went undefeated. For six years, the, Patri or the, the Chiefs have dominated the AFC West. The Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders in those six years since Peyton Manning retired have a combined one playoff appearance. It was 2018 with Phillip Rivers when they beat Lamar Jackson, who subbed in during his rookie year for Joe Flacco. So they beat rookie Lamar Jackson as a five seed. 
That is the only playoff appearance by the Chargers, Broncos, or Raiders in the last six years, which is a really, really long time to be perpetually mediocre. It's not, I mean, the Chargers have never truly been perpetually mediocre, but they only have two playoff appearances in the last decade, which doesn't seem like a lot, but in the AFC is actually quite a large bar to hit. Dolphins, one. Raiders, one. Broncos in the last six years, zero. Cleveland Browns, one. Buffalo Bills, two. Uh, Miami Dolphins, we said them, Jacksonville Jaguars, one. Like, there's just so many bad teams in the AFC that two actually makes you not perpetually mediocre. It just makes you average or below average in this context. Below average. The Chargers have been below average, and the Raiders and Broncos have been perpetually mediocre for a decade. Broncos, six years, but it's going to be a decade, Broncos fans. It's going to be a decade of mediocrity. Decade of mediocrity for the Chargers, decade of mediocrity for the Broncos, two decades of mediocrity for the Raiders. The perpetually mediocre franchises being in the AFC West combined with the Chiefs being an absolute wagon last year made me feel very, very strongly that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to run the AFC West for a decade, a decade the Chiefs were going to run that division. And what ends up happening now is not necessarily pivoting all the way off that, but the Chargers are close. The Chargers in that time span have put together, again, this is like last year, the Chargers have put together a team that has a chance to interrupt this prolonged period of Chiefs success. And I say a decade, like I'm talking about a decade from now going forward. Like as long as Patrick Mahomes is in his physical prime, the Kansas City Chiefs will dominate the AFC West until like 2030. Like I'm talking about... 15 consecutive division titles like that's what I see the Kansas City Chiefs as 15 consecutive division titles and the pushback on that I ask you who's the team that's going to have prolonged success better than the Kansas City Chiefs like who's a team that can have prolonged success in the AFC West better than the Chiefs the Raiders the Broncos and now we have that team it's the Chargers do I think the Chargers can compete year after year after year dynastically in the AFC West? No, but that's a really hard bar to hit. Like Aaron Rodgers in the NFC North, everyone talks about how Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears and they put up all those signs uh, semi-recently. Aaron Rodgers has won in his 15 years as Packers quarterback seven division titles, only seven division titles for the Green Bay Packers in the time frame of Aaron Rodgers' success. Why? The Minnesota Vikings have been very good over the last 10 years. I'm not going to say elite. Like The Minnesota Vikings are one of those franchises that hasn't won a Super Bowl in that time frame. But the Minnesota Vikings have still been good enough to win the NFC North on occasion. The Chicago Bears, for one year, put together a team better than the Green Bay Packers. Like Aaron Rodgers has had periods where they're not having success. Even the Detroit Lions in twenty uh, was it twenty fourteen? They didn't win the division, but the the Detroit Lions were undefeated going into a game against the Green Bay Packers. The year Aaron Rodgers went fifteen and one. Like they have put together pretty good teams, even though the Lions one was like only pretty good. It's not like the Lions went two decades without making the playoffs the way the New York Jets did apart from two years. 
the Miami Dolphins did, apart from a couple playoff appearances, and the Buffalo Bills literally did. For 17 years, the Buffalo Bills did not make the playoffs. The New York Jets made the playoffs three times in 20 years. The Miami Dolphins made the playoffs three times in 20 years. And the Chargers in the AFC West might be that team that breaks that cycle from Raiders, one playoff appearance in 20 years. Denver Broncos, apart from the four years of Peyton Manning, one playoff appearance in 20 years. Chargers, two playoff appearances in the last decade. This is where you see the Chargers break the cycle. Why? First and foremost, the Chargers have that quarterback. That quarterback gives them a puncher's chance of catching the Kansas City Chiefs with perfect circumstances. And how do I know this? Or how do I feel like I know this? Because they almost did it this year with not perfect circumstances. The Chargers, as we've talked about earlier on in the season, like they're trying to build a team similarly to how the Saints built up their team with uh, two strong weapons, quarterback position locked down, run an offense with spread, similarly to how Sean Payton runs his offense. Just Eckler used like Camara, alternating backs in the same way the Saints have done with Mark Ingram in the past and Latavius Murray in there. Alternate in uh, Josh Kelly, alternate in Justin Jackson this week, alternate running backs in and out. Great way to talk about this, Joe Lombardi, offensive coordinator for the Chargers, previously working with Drew Brees and the Saints as a quarterback's coach. So you alternate in the, the, the Saints offense built that way. The defense is not the Saints defense. That's the reason the Chargers are not good this year. The offense Almost Saints level good. And the good part about that, Justin Herbert's only like 23 years old. Justin Herbert for a decade is going to be not quite Patrick Mahomes, but at least a second tier level quarterback as good as Patrick Mahomes, if not one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL in his physical prime. Like Justin Herbert's not there yet. And I don't know if Justin Herbert's going to get there, but first quarterback in the history of NFL with 30 touchdowns in their first two seasons. He's going to throw for 5,000 yards this year. He's going to finish top five in passer rating in the NFL. He's going to get MVP votes this year in his second year. Justin Herbert for a decade is a franchise quarterback who's going to be like consistently one of the top eight in the NFL. And that's going to give them just enough of a puncher's chance if they put a perfect set of circumstances around that, they can compete for a Super Bowl. And if they can compete for a Super Bowl, it means they can compete with the Kansas City Chiefs. They had no business winning the division this year. The fact that the Chargers were that close to winning the AFC West this year should be a massive, massive moral victory for Chargers fans. Best of circumstances, they'll go out and sign a linebacker this offseason. They'll sign a defensive tackle. They'll draft some skill position players in the second and third round to better complement. They'll they'll work Jalen Guyton more into the offense with more reps, similarly to how the Packers brought Alan Lazard in. And with more reps with Rodgers and familiarity, Lazard became a legitimate weapon. Not an elite weapon, but still a legitimate weapon. Uh, you know, thoughts and prayers to Donald Parnum as well, but he can, if, if, he, if he's healthy... After this scary injury that he had, he can certainly still be an integral part of the Chargers offense. Jared Cook, get him out of there. But still, the point being, the Chargers just need to add pieces that keep the roster from being good this year. 
The Chargers fans should feel so optimistic about this season because, again, this season was never about catching the Kansas City Chiefs. In all honesty, the Chargers were only here because they beat the Kansas City Chiefs early on in the season in a weird chaos upset. And they were almost going to have another chaos upset this week. That would have just been like perfect set of circumstances for the Chargers winning. And I know people want to talk about the Brandon Staley not kicking field goals and how they would have won the game if they just kicked the field goals. You live that way with the numbers. Kansas City Chiefs would have won if Patrick Mahomes didn't spike the ball to Mecole Hardman. Like, if Mahomes limits those turnovers, the Chiefs win that game by 14 instead of 17. If one tipped pass doesn't end up falling into the hands of the Chargers defender and they get a touchdown, Chiefs win by 21. Like, it's just weird how those things work out in a chaos game. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers are going to be relative competitors. The Chiefs will always have the advantage against the Chargers because the Chargers are already starting from a place where they're going up against the greatest offensive coach in the history of the NFL and the best quarterback in the NFL. You can't beat that, but you can at least get close. And under the best of circumstances, you can build a team that can get to the Final Four. And the thing I say all the time about the Final Four in the NFL is that There are four to five elite teams, and when you get to the conference championship, it's pretty much a coin toss. It's why when we talk about Aaron Rodgers and why he is one of the great quarterbacks, like behind behind the Patriots and now the Chiefs, Aaron Rodgers was the greatest period of prolonged success in the NFL. Why? Because Aaron Rodgers got to six conference championship games and the next closest NFL team across 15 years to get to that many was three or NFC, not NFL, NFC. The the next Aaron Rodgers made six NFC championships. This year would be seven. And the next closest team was three in the NFC over the last 15 years. And it's six, it's five for Rodgers, but I'm also including the 15 and one season where they lost in the divisional round because it was just like they were clearly an elite team that year. Year that they have an elite team, six times. Next closest is three in the NFC. And an NFC that doesn't have like bad quarterbacks either. Like Drew Brees is in the NFC and only made it three times to, to a conference champion, or two times to a conference, two but should have been three. If not for the Minnesota Miracle, should have been three. So I count Drew Brees as an elite team that year. Um, the, the San Francisco 49ers with Colin Kaepernick and Alex Smith and then Jimmy Garoppolo in that defense only three times made it to the conference championship. Like with all of the, with all the talent in the NFC, still Aaron Rodgers ran that division or ran that conference better than anyone else did by a good amount for 15 years. The New England Patriots made it to 10 consecutive AFC championship games. And I think the Belichick and Brady making it to the conference championship 16 times is the greatest testament to their success and that dynasty because it just separates them so far from the competition. Kansas City with Mahomes and Andy Reid is going to be four for four. They're going to make the conference championship this year, barring injury. They're four for four with those guys together. And they're the best thing that has existed in my lifetime other than the the New England Patriots. And the Chargers might have a chance to just for under the best of circumstances over the next decade disrupt their dominance for just a short period of time. It's not going to make them irrelevant, but the Chiefs maybe, just maybe, 
might have to go through the wild card because under the best of circumstances, might be next year actually, could be 2022 as the best chance if the Chargers hit on their draft picks and sign free agents well this offseason. If not then, maybe 2025, maybe 2026. But the Chargers are going to build around Justin Herbert and have at least a puncher's chance of catching the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you would have told me that last year, I would have told you it was absolutely insane. Are the Kansas City Chiefs still going to run that division for a decade? Yes. But it's not a foregone conclusion like it used to be. That the Chargers won't be the team that similarly to those weird Jets teams that for two years took down the Patriots in the NFC in the AFC East, one year because Tom Brady tore his ACL, the next year because the Patriots were a wild card. Or, no, the Patriots won the division and the Jets were a wild card team that just happened to beat the Patriots in the playoffs. They can disrupt the Patriots for those two years. The Chargers are going to be that team that has a chance over the next decade to disrupt 15 consecutive years of dominance from the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West. Might not be this, it wasn't supposed to be this year. Hopefully it'll be next, I think next year's the best chance I can see on the horizon for the Chargers. Maybe it's 2023, maybe it's 2025, maybe it's 2026. But the Chargers have a chance, and that's something that was not a possibility even a year ago, as the Chiefs go on to win their sixth consecutive division title with no signs of stopping Anytime in the next decade, the Chargers do have a puncher's chance under the best of circumstances to disrupt 15 years of Chiefs dominance. And if you're if you're a Chargers fan listening, that should make you feel really, really good as if you don't already feel really, really good that you have that quarterback for a decade. Take this as a moral victory. The fact that you were this close this year when you had no business competing with the Kansas City Chiefs because of how many flaws you have on defense and not enough skill position players and an offensive line that is better but still could be even better to get to league rankings because they were so bad last year. You should feel really, really good about how this season is going. Make the playoffs or not, the fact that you were that close to maybe having a chance to win the division should be a huge, huge moral victory if you're a Chargers fan. 2022 might be your year. Take it as a moral victory this year and get ready for next year to have a puncher's chance of catching a dynasty that you have no business of catching because you've been perpetually mediocre for a decade and the Kansas City Chiefs are the new New England Patriots who are going to run the AFC West for 15 years but you've got a chance. Maybe that's all you need. I didn't mean to soapbox for a half hour, but we're going to take that with a grain of salt and move on to a wonderful Stripe Hype Friday to send you into the weekend. New sponsor alert here on the Take It Easy podcast. It is Lightbox Jewelry. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, Lightbox Jewelry has cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds that you can find at a light price of just $800 per carat. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off. Priced so they won't have to. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox Diamonds. Never a dull moment. 
What's going on? What's going on? How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's been a, been a pretty solid week, I guess. Um, you know, no more college football to watch, I guess. So that's, uh, that's not very fun. But outside of that, it's been a pretty good week. You didn't have any any effects from the the tornadoes that went through Kentucky. Uh, I didn't. I did not. I uh, I live more towards the eastern side of Kentucky. Most of the tornado stuff happened on the west uh, side. But I will say it did affect all Kentucky pretty hard. I, I know a lot of people are uh, going down to help families and everything like that out. So it's uh, just remember all those people. I know it's been really tough for them. I assume the best for you and your family, because it would have been quite strange if you just hadn't brought it up and you're like, yeah, so our, our community had uh, tornado warnings and such this week. I, I feel like that would have come up in conversation at some point before the podcast. So I assume all is well there. Um, glad to hear it. Uh, I don't I don't know any organizations if people want to send money to to help relief in Kentucky. I, I didn't come prepared with charitable organizations, but you can you can Google those because uh, they, they do need your support. They're still in search and rescue stuff going on there. So, uh, yeah, not not I didn't come prepared for a PSA on that, but I feel like now that we're talking about it, I should throw something out there to support. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not entirely sure either, honestly. I know that there are fundraisers, uh, people raising stuff down there. I know they said, I believe it was over 100 people died uh, in those tornadoes and everything like that. But, uh, you know, uh, where, where I lived and, and where most of my family's at, none of us got hit, thankfully. But just remember all the people down there who did. In a weird transition, Spider-Man, we're going to need a we're going to need a movie review from you on Spider-Man because you said you're going to go watch the premiere tonight. So uh, we're, yes. we're going to need a movie review afterwards. I think we, we did this last time with I, I forgot what movie it was, but we did something similar to this a while ago. We asked you for an, a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie review, but <laughs> we'll, we'll need that at some point, too. Yeah, it's been my sister and I's tradition to go to see almost every single Marvel movie in the theaters. Uh, used to be something me and my dad did, and then I just kind of had my sister come with me now, and she loves it too. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I know a lot of my friends don't get to actually see it until next or tomorrow, so I get to see it before all of them, and I'm I'm really really excited because I can't wait to just I can't wait to just brag about seeing it earlier and and have a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it a lot. Yeah, but then they can flex that they got to watch the Chiefs and Chargers game and you had to just watch it on your phone or check the scores yeah. afterwards. You're right. You know, here's what I'll, I'll probably just, just keep up to date with a game cast on my phone during the movie. <laughs> See, this is the trade-offs we have to make, right? See, if this had been a week ago, no one would have cared because it would have been Steelers and Vikings and you just didn't have right. to watch it. But, you know, of this course, is a big game. Yeah, even though I think the Chiefs are going to win by two touchdowns, it's still a game with two playoff teams on a Thursday night. It should be fun, but yeah, yeah, these are the crucial. trade-offs we make. I know, and you got to think, I mean, I know the NFL is all out of whack right now. I felt like COVID protocols and everyone being hurt and gone. Uh, so it's, it's really confusing, but I mean, you, you really got to worry if you if you lose this game, if you're the Chargers, because there are so many teams right now that are in that seven and six range and going and dropping down to seven and seven if there's a couple of teams that get, get a couple of wins here and we get to eight and six maybe nine and six after this and they're in big trouble to try to come back so this is uh this is an interesting game we'll save for later uh which is uh trying to, to sort through all the chaos there and see how much faith we have in certain teams but we'll save that for for later on here i have a devised a, a game with weird scoring mechanisms that we'll revisit after the super bowl to see how we did. But in the meantime, 
I want to talk about Urban Meyer because uh, we yes. released, we recorded and released yesterday's podcast, and I dropped the podcast at nine o'clock on the West Coast so that I could go to sleep. At nine twenty on the West Coast, the news came in that Urban Meyer had been fired, which means I could have, if I'd stayed up twenty minutes later, gone back re-edited the podcast to talk about Urban Meyer and I missed it by 20 minutes, which is usually something we do. We always like do podcasts and then some major news breaks immediately afterwards. So I had that happen to me today. So we get to save the Urban Meyer talk for this wonderful podcast today. You know what? I'm honored. Uh, And uh, there is, I have a lot of opinions on this, Uh, mainly just me trashing Urban Meyer because I don't think I've ever seen a head coach do so bad where he's fired mid season in his first head coaching gig in the NFL. Like, I mean, that, that just says all you need to know about how this went. Fun fact this here, is obvious- it has happened one time in our lifetime. In our lifetime, it has happened one time. Do you think you know what that one situation is? God. Uh, oh. Now, lots of coaches <laughs> have been fired after one season. Freddie Kitchens right. semi-recently, Steve Wilkes. But being fired in fewer games than Urban Meyer got fired since I assume 2000. That's roughly when we were born around 2000. Man. If I throw out a hint, it's a college head. It's a college head coach. It's someone who also went from college to the NFL. Hmm. Is he a good college head coach? He was recently a good college coach, recently, semi-recently fired, but for a while was considered a very good college coach. Was it Lane Kiffin? It was not Lane Kiffin, although he was fired after one full season. Right. Uh, uh, I mean, it wasn't Gase, obviously. Um, Gase technically got two years with the Jets. Right, right. Um, It's kind of surprising in hindsight, but yeah. Man, I don't know. Here's a fun fact, too. They got 12 games. Urban Meyer got 13 games. It is crazy. Bobby Petrino and the Atlanta Uh, Falcons. Gotcha. Yeah, that was when was that? Is that early mid 2000s? It was it was the year it was the year after Michael Vick went to jail. So I think 2007 sometime around then. It's 2006 or 2007, one of the two. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I almost forgot about Bobby Petrino even existing. I remember, uh, I, I do remember, uh, you know, not being a big fan of him for a long time because of uh, um, him coaching uh, Louisville, of course. But uh, uh, I, I do know that uh, I do remember that he had a pretty poor stint there with um, uh, in the NFL, and he currently coaches for Missouri State University. Uh, so yes, he is a D2 football coach. I don't know if Missouri State's throwing around lots of money to get these big time college coaches, but uh, I think I think this is something funny. Do you remember Chad Morris? He was the he was the head coach at Arkansas not that long ago. I think I think he was the coach at Arkansas in between Brett Bielema and Sam Pittman. Huh. Uh yeah, it's that really doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> yeah, it's not that important, but I think he's coaching high school football in Texas now. I think he's a head coach at a high school team in Texas, but he was the coach head coach wow. at Arkansas like less than three years ago. 
Yeah. It's, oh, wow. I mean, it, I'm mean, i honestly like crazy to see how every head coach we've heard of is just so, still somehow around somewhere, you know, like they're, they're finding jobs elsewhere if they don't work out where they're at. And it's, that shocks me because you would think that other teams are going to find their own head coaches that they're going to help ruin, but like all these smaller schools and schools that aren't as good are just going to go after the guys that kind of fell off in the NFL or college ranks. Uh, and that is, I mean, that's crazy. I know we talked about this in one segment one time about like all these head coaches of where they're at now. I mean, it really is wild to see that they are all still somehow a part of football in some way. Oh yeah. My favorite one from this week is that now that Dan Lanning is going to be the head coach at Oregon, uh, Will Muschamp is the defensive coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs in a college football playoff game, which is kind of incredible that he's made his way back, back up the ranks. And Will Muschamp is one head coaching cycle away from maybe being a head coach again at some group of five central Michigan or, you know, middle Tennessee state program. Oh no, <laughs> man! I, I I swear it's it's so weird. I mean, you kind of talk about like Bama being like one of those schools that are like uh, there to like you know uh, what is it called coach therapy or, or uh, you know like rehabilitation uh, for coaches that fall apart. Yeah, like a rehabilitation tour. I just love that because it's so true. I mean, they, you just see all these coaches go to a uh, you know a, a worse school or a good a good college school become like a uh, you know a what, I mean, what we'd imagine as like maybe a, uh, a coordinator or some sort of positional coach and they slowly yet again work their way up, keep getting better and then find a new head catching job somewhere else. And it's it's so weird how they continue that same cycle and teams are, are just like, you know, but maybe he's changed. Maybe he's better now. Like we when we have actually no clue, like this guy could be just the exact same as a head coach, but because he was doing well in the positional coordinators and like that, they're obviously going to give him another chance. It's crazy. And that's a seamless transition back into Urban Meyer because Urban Meyer is now needing himself a little rehabilitation tour at one of these programs. Not like Urban Meyer won't get a head coaching job somewhere again. Uh, It'll just be a job that is less pristine than what Urban Meyer might have thought his expectations were worth if he wants to coach again. But yeah, Urban Meyer's gone. And it's kind of weird to think about because for the longest time, it looked like Chad Khan was just going to let it ride out until next year and then fire him then. But uh, it, this is, this is the end all be all for urban Meyer in Jacksonville. They're just not letting him walk back into the locker room again. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and obviously I think that's just the the very correct move. I mean, that's something that you actually absolutely had to do here because I mean, there, there's no, there is no way I am uh, after what has all happened and what has transpired and how far off the Jaguars have now become due to the off the field issues or Meyer has made with the team. I mean, you, people don't understand how much of a, a setback Jacksonville has to face now that, you know, I mean, this is a team that I, I would argue has little to no chemistry uh, with, with urban Meyer and the way he was coaching his players. So this is a team that almost has to entirely rebuild yet again with themselves. Not maybe they do have some muscle pieces to go with, but in terms of, you know, their identity and who they're going to be. I mean, you got to think this it hurt the Raiders when John Gruden left, despite, you know, his off the field problems. It's going to be the exact same for the Jaguars. We have to find a way to, uh, you know, com- completely, uh, you know, I guess reset and, and find their new, uh, and, and find their new identity that they actually have. And, you know, I think it's really, really funny and telling that Daryl Bevel is now the interim head coach uh, in place of Urban Meyer because that just that literally just perfectly sums up what I'm trying to explain here. It's, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster right now. And they're going to have to figure out a way to uh, change it all. I mean, 
they absolutely have to land a really, really good head coach. I think this offseason in some shape or form, um, you know, I, I'll look at guys and be like Brian Dayball, Josh McDaniels, someone like that. Maybe even maybe even another Eggman enemy. Uh, they, they need to land someone here that they can really trust and, and become a, a good head coach to help reset this program. Franchise. I I love that our analysis here, or at least my analysis for the last like nine weeks on the Jaguars is just fire Daryl Bevel. And now he's promoted to the interim head coach, by the way, for the second consecutive season, because he was the interim coach when Patricia got fired last year for the second straight season, Daryl Bevel is going to be an interim head coach for the final four to five weeks of a season for a God awful team. It's just so amazing that the Jaguars have messed up this bad. Cause remember like with all the, the chemistry issues that you brought up, which I think is a real thing of like people desperately being unhappy in Jacksonville. This is the same franchise that under Tom Coughlin, the NFLPA put out a statement saying, do not sign with this team. So this is like right. five consecutive years and multiple regimes of being if one of, if not the most poorly run franchise in all of professional football. And it's just amazing to see it all culminate with urban Meyer being like an even greater embarrassment than the Tom Coughlin experiment was when Tom Coughlin ruined a team that was eight minutes away from making it to the Super Bowl, And he ruined that entire thing. And yet this was even more catastrophic than what happened before. Yeah. I mean, it, it is ridiculous. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I, obviously, people understand that Urban Meyer was a, a legendary uh, college head coach. I mean, what he did was, was I mean, amazing and, and really, really impressive. He was a very, very good college head coach. And he deserved the praise for what he got, you know, on the field, at least. But, I mean, everyone everyone noticed the off-the-field problems. They chose to ignore it. At least the Jaguars did in this case. They chose to ignore the off-the-field problems. And I think they came with baggage. I mean, obviously, this is a guy that hadn't coached in a couple of years. Um, you know, a lot of people would say that if you're coming back to coaching, probably the easier start would be to go to college temporarily and then find a home in the NFL where people wanted to give Urban Meyer an immediate chance to, to become a head coach. Um, of course, the Jaguars did. They expected him to come in and just understand the NFL ropes easily. And obviously, that just wasn't the case for him. That's just not something that Urban Meyer was set for. And I think that was abundantly obvious as we you know, as we watched this season progress. We, just, we could tell that this is just not the way Urban Meyer should – this is not Urban Meyer's uh, – strong suit to coach in the NFL. It's just, just obvious that, that he's going to be a college coach for the future uh, if he's ever going to coach again. And uh, I think that um, obviously, I, I think someone, I don't remember who it was, but they explained it perfectly. He's so used to talking to kids, being a mentor, uh, being a guy that they all look up to and everything like that. This is the NFL. This is completely different. I mean, these are guys that are just coming out here to make a paycheck and, and play. A lot of them are, you know, just as experienced in the NFL and know what to do they, as you do. Like they are, they are, they are almost, your equals in a certain way you know like you know Urban Meyer's not going to be a father figure or anything like that to a to a 36 year old player who's going to go out there and become and be an elite player day in and day out you know it's, it's obvious that this is this is something that he's just not used to and I think that once you know once he was being aggressive and, and basically treating these ki- guys like kids I think he really did lose the locker room and, and once you lose the locker room I mean you might as well just end the season now because you're not going to win football games. Yeah, and it means the whole experiment is over because once it's gone, it's it's impossible to build up respect quickly enough to try and, you know, re- replace or repair the situation that you had that you've made for yourself before. Once the trust is gone, it's really hard to get it back up. And 
this is the part that I found interesting with the Josh Lambeau story that came out on Wednesday that I don't know whether that was like a trigger last straw that got Urban Meyer fired. But the, the Josh Lambeau talks to the Tampa Bay Times and says Urban Meyer kicks him and says, make your effing kicks, you effing loser. And then uh, I'm just thinking of that. I'm like, would anyone have cared about this story if it had been with college kids? I think because the absolute power we're used to in college football, which is changing now, like for the last three years with transfer portal era, name, image, likeness, players are getting more power, but they still don't have the same power that NFL players have as like employed adults. And so I think that power dynamic never adjusted for Urban Meyer, clearly never adjusted for Urban Meyer because this was a, a catastrophic falling apart at the end. And all of it seemed like this was absolute power of old timey college football coach getting exposed in a way he probably would have been exposed if he had taken the Texas job. Maybe he would have won more games and they would have been willing to put up with more stuff like this, like Ohio State did for four or five years before they mutually agreed to part ways back in 2018-19. I know they masked it in retirement, but uh, it, it was pretty much like we can't have this guy as a coach anymore. And so in all the places that he's left, it has been about absolute power. And then when you infringe upon that absolute power, Urban Meyer pouts and walks away or teams try to fire him. And so it's interesting to see that power dynamic shift to the NFL and have it flame out a lot faster than I think it would have had he taken the Texas job. Because I think Urban Meyer's strategy doesn't work the same way it used to. I think that the absolute power of resources at Ohio State helped, and maybe that would have done some for him at Texas. But it feels like it was kind of petering out before and then it all just blew up in his face when he tried the absolute power strategy in the NFL. I think it's abundantly obvious now that Urban Meyer was never the elite X's and O's coach. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think even, even people in the NFL, the moment it was signed, they, they, they knew that. They knew that he wasn't going to be the guy that was going to, you know, destroy you with his play calling, what he's going to do on the field. He's going to be a guy that is a a team builder, right? Like he's going to be the guy that builds the team, has the, uh, you know, offensive coordinators, the defensive coordinators, guys around him that can uh, win football games, right? And everyone expected him to be that guy because what he did in college was, you know, uh, amazing recruiting. He found good coaches in the college ranks. He was able to build together a squad that was really, really good with Alabama and Florida. So obviously he did it well there. But again, this is a completely different league in the NFL. I mean, this is not, you know, Urban Meyer is definitely going to be – he's going to have his say different things, of course. But, you know, there, there is a lot more other pieces, other moving pieces that need to go well in the NFL for it to work out, right? Like you just – you cannot afford to make mistakes in the NFL while you might be able to get away with some in college you're playing if you're for, on a team like Ohio State. So, obviously, those mistakes become louder and louder. I, I think a big reason why – he got frustrated was due to the fact that they were losing football games, of course. And once that kind of continued to happen, it just kind of continued to get worse and worse for him and worse and worse for everyone there. And I think that it really just boiled over after some time and made it to where, um, you know, we're here where we are now. And, and that's Urban Meyer is no longer a head coach. Yeah. And I, I like what you talked about there where losing games definitely didn't help because the kicking incident happened in August and everyone knew about it in the organization and it wasn't really a big deal until, you know, it, it goes public and you have to address your coach that you're already on the rocks with. But what I found so fascinating about this also is 
they could have lost games and it still would have been fine. Like we weren't expecting the Jaguars to be otherworldly this year. If you would have said the Jaguars would start the year two and 11, I would have said like, it, it's possible. Like I, I think they're maybe win three or four at this point in the season and finish with five wins. Cause you know, they beat the Texans once and maybe they, they win a game against like a jets type or something, but they could have lost games and it still would have been okay. It's just the, the laughably embarrassing ways that it went down. It, it And by the way, enabled a little bit by ownership in Jacksonville, like ownership enabled urban Meyer with the feeling of absolute power, like a college team, even though that's not how you can run an NFL team or an organization with professionals um, enabled a little bit by ownership. I think, they would have been okay with losing games and they still would have survived. If there's an idea that they're building something here, you see Trevor Lawrence not playing all time bad from a rookie. And James Robinson is not getting benched for fumbling a football and then having four rushing yards in urban Myers last game against the Titans and still being the leading rusher on the team because they only had eight total rushing yards. Like if, if it's not laughably bad, Urban Meyer still probably survives even the losing. It's just that the, the illusion of absolute power made it kind of dysfunctional even in losing, even if the Jaguars didn't have that much talent in the first place. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it, it, was, it was just the fact that, I mean, it, it, was, it was really obvious that even, even though they had a terrible record, they were still underperforming, right? And, and that, that says a lot. I mean, it's really, really hard for a team that was expected to go 5-12 and 12 this year to actually underperform that like that I mean that's that that's really really tough to do obviously so and also I mean, five I, and I, 12 I, even before they lost their star running back to injury in training camp right right i mean like yeah i mean obviously uh and as well as dj shark i think you could have had dj shark their star wide receiver uh still healthy they probably would still went five and 12 or jamal agnew not going out for season in week seven Exactly. I mean, like the, the, this was a prediction that we had for, for, you know, a while, like this is something we expected. And I, I really, really think that uh, it, it was just in a matter of how they were losing. I mean, I, I think even, even with, um, you know, when, when you, when you talk about uh, how the games were lost and, and what happened, I mean, they have little to no rushing attack right now. Uh, they have a fantastic running back, James Robinson, who is a great, a uh, uh, great running back, I think, and it can be very dangerous at the next level. He's not doing anything, right? You have Trevor Lawrence, who's considered one of the best, if not the best, quarterback prospect we've seen in the last 10 years. I mean, we saw good things from Joe Burrow last year. We saw good things from other quarterbacks in the, at the elite level by, uh, last year uh, or and, and several years back, of course. But we just don't see anything to, I guess, tell us that we can really trust Trevor Lawrence as a head coach or as a quarterback, excuse me. And I think the big reason why is because of the poor play calling that he's received. He isn't been able to do what he needs to do to be successful. And I mean, honestly, like they, they have building pieces to work with and nothing is working. And that should not be the case if you're Jacksonville. You should find some sort of hope. And there's been no hope that Jacksonville has had at all yet. Yeah. And this is the crazy part about all of this, which is we're in the exact same situation we were talking about last year with the tanking for Trevor Lawrence situation where we knew they were going to get the number one pick. We knew they were going to get Trevor Lawrence from like December onward. At this time last year, we were talking about who do you hire as coach if you have Trevor Lawrence coming in as your quarterback. And the thing I said is whoever you hire as a coach, whether it's Enemy or Jim Caldwell or Dayball, um, my strategy would be hire the Chiefs quarterback coach 
as your offensive coordinator and then maybe bring the enemy over and let them be bring that chief's offense into Jacksonville. I'm still going to articulate the same thing for the Jaguars now, because really nothing has changed. You're also going to get another top draft pick this year, which is only going to help building whatever, you know, whatever team you're trying to build there that already looks like it's going to be a failure because Clavon Chason isn't good. You already traded CJ Henderson. ETN has been injured. That's three first round picks just wiped out right in front of us there. And Jacksonville feels like I mean, we knew we knew for a while, right? Jacksonville's one of these perpetually mediocre franchises, right? Like they're they're even you could go as far as to say dysfunctional because ownership is meddling and they had they they put too much faith in bad people or at least bad NFL people like Tom Coughlin and Urban Meyer for the wrong reasons. Uh, you could argue even dysfunction at that point, but the Jaguars feel like they're doing the Jaguars thing that makes me start to evaluate like, are these franchises just cursed to not having good things happen to them? Like, is the dysfunction so rampant that, yeah, Zach Wilson looks terrible on the Jets and Sam Darnold looks terrible on the Jets. And maybe we were right about them. And then the Jets didn't know how to develop them properly or stick to a proper plan or let ownership not be meddlesome. Like it starts making me rethink, are some of these teams with bad owners just doomed to repeat these cycles over and over and over again until something changes at the very top? Like not even Trevor Lawrence can break the cycle of poor ownership and poor management within the Jaguars. It's certainly possible. I, I do think there are coaches maybe out there that can fix everything and, and make everything better. But if you if you can't get players that can play with each other and, and play at an elite level, you're obviously not going to win football games. This is a big reason why we see the same teams that are terrible every single year. Uh, I, I really think if if a team wants to be successful, what they really have to do first is Uh, I think find a a good head coach or a good face of the organization, right? And I think a big reason why we have seen teams like uh, the Jaguars struggle is because they don't have a face of the organization at all. They just don't. They they don't have a guy that they can look at and say, hey, this is our face. This is the guy that we want to be the leader of the organization for years to come. And until they're able to find one of those guys, they cannot – be a great football team. It's just not going to happen. I mean, the, the, the face of the organization could be a player. We can we can have a guy like Trevor Lawrence all of a sudden become the face of the organization and become uh, the, the leader and what everyone needs to be. Everyone needs a face of the organization. Normally, you want to be a head coach if you're a rebuilding team because obviously that's one of the, you know, it's, it's probably one of the better uh, guarantees to be a good football team is if it's a good head coach. Um, and, and I think as long as they're able to have someone they can trust to be able to be a guy that leads the locker room, leads the team, has everyone glued together, makes helps everyone accountable. I think it's the biggest thing. Uh, if they and they have a a person or a coach that can do that, then I think they can be a solid football team. But they just need to find that person, and until they do, like I said, I just don't know if they're going to be good enough to be successful. Do you think that an owner can be a face of an organization? It's certainly possible, I think. But I mean, we haven't we haven't really seen any the owners really. Uh, do any anything just yet to where we can be led to believe that's the case you we've, know? we've seen uh, them in negative cases but i don't know if we've seen them right. in like positive cases of an owner who is front facing can build a successful team because i think shad khan in in the case of the jaguars tries to be that person ever so slightly like this time i don't think it was more so him i think it was just ownership enabling the worst parts of urban meyer by giving him 
the illusion of absolute power when they hired him and through this whole process. I think that's where their shortcoming is, but that's not something I feel like that could have happened to anyone that, uh, that illusion of absolute power could have happened to anyone. And maybe they were so dead set on hiring urban Meyer that that was going to happen anyways, but you're right that we don't really see many positive cases of owners being faces. It's usually in bad situations like the Maras for the giants or the McCaskies in Chicago or the Ford family in Detroit. Like it's usually the meddlesome owners that end up being the front faces for their organizational failures. And I will say, uh, you know, we don't, we don't always give credit to the, to the good owners. There are good owners out there. I mean, uh, the, the owners of the, the, uh, um, I forgot their names. Uh, the Steelers owners uh, oh, are the, fantastic. The Roonies. Roonies, yes. The Roonies are, I mean, a very, very good owners. They have continued to build successful football teams over the, this a lot of years. They, they've they've hired good coaches whenever they needed to. They've had dynasties after dynasties after dynasties. You can even say, you know, even give credit to the, the, the New England Patriots front office. I mean, I know they've had pretty much the same head coach and quarterback for the last 20 years, but at the same time, they were able to get those guys and then lock them down for a very, very long time. And that is absolutely successful if you're able to keep Bill Belichick and Tom Brady on, a, on the NFL roster for 20 plus years. I mean, so I, I got to give credit where credit's due to those, to those head coaches because to, I, I those, to Robert those, Kraft in them. Um, yeah. Because Robert, we don't think of Robert Kraft as like the front facing guy for the Patriots, but he is like, He's someone who doesn't get involved in the personnel. He let, like, except for with Tom Brady, which then blew up the end of that dynasty. But because Kraft is more quiet in the background, he has he has like power within the owners meeting, like within owner ranks. But because he's more quiet in the background of the Patriots stuff, he doesn't get the same like front facing attention that like a Jerry Jones does in that way. Right, and I would argue that's that's even better. Uh, for him to be quiet in the background. I mean, you don't need a head coach to be the, the loud piece to your franchise. That's a guy in the background doing things behind the scenes that you need to do well, right? And I think it's what Robert Kraft does so well is the behind the scenes stuff. He lets Bill Belichick be the face of the organization because Bill Belichick is one of, if not the greatest head coach of all time. And that's perfect. But everything he does behind the scenes is so good as well. And I think that's really what you want in an owner is a guy like Robert Kraft or uh, or, or, or any of the Rooney, someone like that, that you can just trust to be a, a leader in the background, a leader in, in, in what you need behind the scenes overall. And they just do that so well. And I, I really am impressed by, um, you know, how they've managed to become so successful over the years in, in terms of um, being able to just go out there and, and do, do what's right, really. I mean, just, just always never make mistakes, always, always make the right signings whenever needed. Even if you do make a mistake, you can go back on it and fix it in some sort of way that they just, they do that perfectly. And I, I really am impressed by how uh, those organizations are ran. And if more organizations can be ran like that, then we can have other good football teams. I haven't asked you this. I don't think in recent times, or maybe your answer has changed, but from, from September till now, how has your opinion changed or stayed the same on Trevor Lawrence as a, as a draft analyst and someone who scouted him a lot during the last few months? <laughs> Honestly, what I've seen from Trevor Lawrence is something that you will see from a lot of, of rookie head coach or rookie quarterbacks in bad situations. Uh, and, and that is just the fact that this is a football player that is going out there and trying to do way too much for his football team. And it's sad to say that, but it's absolutely true in this case. Uh, he is he is trying way too hard to do too much for the squad. He's, he's, he's making plays that he should not be expected to make uh, right now as a rookie in the NFL. And, and I really think that 
that tells me that this is still a football player that can definitely be a great quarterback for years to come. He just needs to be able to find a scheme, find a fit that is good for him. Uh, he is doing way too much to try to roll out of the pocket, make plays with his legs, make tough throws on the run. You know, this is a terrible offensive line that the, the Jaguars have. I mean, even though they have talent there, this is still a poor offensive line. He's still having to run every single play. He's not safe in the pocket by any means. So this is, I mean, we, 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 they have to, they have obviously not found any success in helping protect him and as forcing him to go out and try to make worldly plays that you just cannot expect a rookie to make at this straight moment because they're bound to make mistakes. A lot of rookies make mistakes. We see a lot. Uh, Joe Burrow is currently leading the league in interceptions right now. Uh, or, or at the top of the league interceptions. He's a second-year player, but he's still basically a rookie right now because Thomas Hughes injured last year. Uh, we, we see a lot of rookies. Zach Wilson, of course, making a lot of mistakes because he's a rookie. This is something that ro- rookies do. The more they are forced to make plays, uh, otherworldly plays, the more they're going to mess up. This is not a Russell Wilson-type guy who can just go out and league, league an organization by himself uh, right now. This is a guy that has to develop and has to get better in the NFL and learn the NFL ranks. You just cannot expect a rookie to go out and become a guy that can just make these plays that he's trying to make and instantly be successful. It's interesting that you brought up Zach Wilson in there because I look at Zach Wilson differently than I look at Lawrence. Cause with Lawrence, I've seen the gifts in the NFL. Like I've seen him make the 20 yard passes into coverage. I've seen him make the, the passes within small windows at times, even though he's also, you know, had a lot of interceptions and the Jaguars offense doesn't score a lot of points. With Wilson, that one feels like Wilson's not as good as we thought. Like I've seen like the one play against, I think it was, maybe it was the the Titans game is the one that they won with him. But the one game they won, he had like a 60 yard pass to Corey Davis that was really good rolling out. Um, but other than that, Zach, the Zach Wilson one feels like that one's not going to work out. With Lawrence, I, I've seen the gifts that say with with more repetitions, he can be a better NFL player. With Wilson, I look at him and say, even in that case, the ceiling feels kind of low for Zach Wilson. Yeah, okay, that's, that's certainly a, a possible assumption right now. But at the same time, I mean, it's just so early on in these rookies' careers. We just don't know how well they're going to perform afterwards. Again, every every rookie, every everything a rookie does right now has to be held with a grain of salt because this is not going to be with the what kind of player they're going to be in the future. Once they're able to get adjusted completely to the NFL, once they're able to know uh, you know, how quick they have in the pocket every single game, once they are able to read defense the way Tom Brady can, I mean, they're not obviously not going to, but once they're able to read defense at least better, like how Tom Brady was uh, over the years, I mean, you're, you're going to see a steady incline in their overall play. And I mean, Zach Wilson, of course, is not a great, I mean, he's not a good quarterback at all right now. Uh, I don't even know if he'll be a great quarterback in, in the future, but I think I think we can definitely say that once he's able to adjust and get used to the NFL, we've seen Zach Wilson make good throws this year. We have seen a lot of drops from the receivers overall this year as well. I mean, there is certainly a possibility that they are able to find some sort of constant or find some sort of way that Zach Wilson could be successful uh, in the future. So yes, I would definitely put Trevor Lawrence above him. I would even say I prefer just fields over him right now. Obviously we really don't know how Trey Lance is obviously Matt Jones would be above him as well. Um, so, I mean, currently he's probably the fourth quarterback in terms of how good they are. And that would overall for a, a football team be, um, or for the Jets, it's not a good scenario. Of course, you drafted him as an overall quarterback. You would hope that he performed that way. He, of course he hasn't, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to leave him out of potentially being a future franchise quarterback. 
uh, due to the mistakes he's making his rookie year. I just I want to wait and be able to tell if he is going if this is who he is and if he's going to change or if this is just a temporary problem that he's going to have as a rookie and in the future he's going to be a lot better. I think for myself with Zach Wilson, if I was more concerned about being right and wanted to get the credit on being right about it, I would probably say a more like fiery take that Zach Wilson is a bust. But at the same time, I recognize like a 13 or not 13. Zach Wilson's only played like eight games because he had that injury early on. Like eight games is not a large sample size to figure that out. But at the same time, after eight games with Daniel Jones, if you would have said, eh, eh. If that's kind of been the analysis, you probably would have been right. Like it's difficult because Jones wasn't graded as highly as Zach Wilson. It's the same reason why I've basically said like, yeah, Jalen Hurts is not going to be a franchise quarterback for the Eagles uh, because there wasn't that uh, in the draft, like analysis from like you saying that like, yeah, Jalen Hurts was a second round grade on him or Daniel Jones was a second round grade versus Zach Wilson, who was with top five prospect in the entire class next year. I think that's the thing that still holds out hope on Zach Wilson for me is that you said like he's, he's a generational type of not generational, like once in a generation, but a very, very good quarterback prospect. And therefore there's a chance that it'll work out better with better players around him and more repetitions to develop. So I do hold out hope there that it's like, it's not over of course, it's just doing analysis based on small sample sizes that are getting larger as we go along. The samples are getting ever so slightly larger. Right. And, and I mean, that that is something that I will say a lot of people hold false hope over for players like Josh Rosen, for example. They're like, well, he was such a high pig. Let him, you know, let him continue to develop. Obviously, that was just beating a dead horse with Josh Rosen. Of course, he wasn't. He just was not going to be that guy that they needed for the future. Um, but in, in terms of, of Zach Wilson, it's 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 been one year, right? And I, it, of course, it's only been half a year for him, really. I mean, yeah, he's it's so been young. half a season because he's only played. I looked it up. He's played nine games as Jets quarterback. And I really will say. The Jets have one of, if not the worst, receiving core right now in the NFL as well. So you're asking him to do a lot with not a lot right now, of course. Uh, he, you know, playing for a, uh, you know, a, a not so big Power Five school. Obviously, he wasn't a Power Five guy. He, he's not going to be playing harder opponents in the NFL uh, at the college level. So it was a big jump for him to go from, you know, I mean, he was playing some Power Five teams, I should say, um, but from from going to playing Pac-12 teams. Uh, or, or, or you know, more group of five teams to going to play NFL type level talent. It's a big jump, and that's something he's going to get used to, especially whenever he still has a really poor team in the NFL terms. So I, I really do think, it, you know, I, I did not expect Zach Wilson to have a good year this year. I really did. I, I thought that this was this is going to be a rebuilding year for him. Uh, and I sort of thought, I sort of thought the same for other guys as well. I thought Justin Fields would be really solid his first year. I, I was, I, I did say, I, I do think, uh, you know, if if we're going to see Mac Jones be successful in the NFL. It's going to be with the New England Patriots. So I did expect those things to happen, but I also expected Trevor Lawrence to be really good this year as well, to be fair. But I think I'm not surprised to see Zach Wilson have the struggles he is having right now, because I know it's the jets. It's just, it's, it's bound to happen with the jets. Well, do you think the jets can turn around that problem? Cause if the problem is the talent around the team, do you think that's something the Jets can correct in two years to give Zach Wilson a fair evaluation? Or is it going to cost Joe Douglas his job before we even get to that point? Or do they do short-sighted move and say, we're going to bring in another quarterback to compete with Zach Wilson? Like, 
I'm just, I guess this is an impossible question to ask, but do you think the Jets will fix this in two years to make it so that Zach Wilson has a chance to be his best self? You know, I think they have a really, really good start right now with Robert Sala as head coach. I know he is not the offensive-minded head coach that you would want to have around Zach Wilson. But, in terms but they, of do a, they do have a LaFleur. They do have a LaFleur as offensive coordinator. That's kind of the pairing. Right, right. right. And, and I really, really think they have a good base of head coaches and, and what they've got currently on their roster. They have, you know, they, they have a couple of guys that are maybe a little inexperienced or, and things like that, like um, – like Hyde Beckton, who's been injured a lot. They have some guys like Elijah Moore. Uh, you know, these are younger guys that have you know, not completely stayed healthy this entire season. They've, they've really been injury riddled. Their defense has been hurt, or hurt a lot, of course. If they can have a good defense, they can have a good offensive line, if they can have better wide receivers. I mean, Zach Wilson, I don't think Zach Wilson is ever going to be a guy that can just make his team better by himself. You know, I don't think it's what you're going to get from Zach Wilson. That's not something you should expect from him. But I do think if he has a good roster around him, he could definitely be a very, very successful quarterback at the next level. And I think if, if they are able to find a way to make him better in, in that sort of scenario, I think then they could become a very, very successful football team. But not very successful, I should say, but I think solid enough to be where we're talking about Zach Wilson being not a bust. Where we can properly evaluate Zach Wilson. Like we have a chance to actually see how good he is, which on the fly, I'm trying to go back and remember who the Jets signed because they spent a lot of money this offseason in <laughs> signing people. And I know Carl like Lawson that- had that injury, you know, real early in the season, which was already a loss for them. And CJ Mosley missed his second straight season with injury. And he was a, you know, he's a free agent two years ago. I'm looking back here. It's like, I see Sheldon Rankins. I see LaMarcus Joyner. I see Gerard Davis. And I'm like, if they committed all that money to all those people and none of them are actually contributing for the Jets, then then it feels like that's a, that's where it's all going to fall apart. Cause now you've spent a lot of your, or some of your cap space on free agents that aren't actually contributing anything this year. I think luckily for them, they're going to, yeah, there's a, there's a big, they're going to get a lot more cap space this year. Of course, there's a good chance that they are able to right their wrongs and do what they didn't do well before, because a lot of these contracts that they have, they have outs in, they can, they can out, they can get outs in these contracts. That's why they some of these maybe lower end guys are not, as elite right like at the next level so i i think that uh you know this idea that you are um, correct by the way the jets the jets have the eighth most cap space available going into next season around 54 million dollars yeah so i mean they, they do have a very very good sum of cash that they can go out and use uh at the next level so i, I do think that like, like they are they have a real shot of being still successful uh and, and writing their wrongs that they might have had, at, you know, right now. And I think um, that, that I mean, they, they absolutely have to hit on free agency this year. I think it's absolutely a key there. If they are not uh, absolute big buyers in free agency, they're not able to get these high end talents that they need to get. Then I do think it's time to start worrying if you're Zach Wilson, uh, if you're a Zach Wilson fan in general. Uh, I, I do think at that point, then I start to worry about how he's going to be for the future. But as of right now, I think it is you, you very much so expect this to be a another rebuilding year. You know, this this was this is a three. I think it was a three year rebuild, right? Once they got rid of Sam Donald, the rebuild officially started again. And I would say this was year one of that rebuild. You still have, uh, you still have, right? Like I said, this is year one. This is with your rookie quarterback. You have next year, which is going to be you get better pieces. You start to. Let these guys glue together. You're not exactly a playoff contender yet, but you're 
good enough to where you're going to be able to win a couple of games next season. You're going to see a noticeable jump. Uh, obviously, that's what the Bengals are. The Bengals are currently in year two of that. They're getting they're seeing that noticeable jump. Right, the, the year year three is whenever you have to start contending. Now that that's whenever that this is your window. This is when your window opens. This is when you start to be good. So currently, we see the Jets in year one. We need to see a noticeable jump in year two. And if that's not the case, then it's basically they just repeated their year one again. And all of a sudden, you become concerned with how the coaching is. You become concerned with some of the players that you had. Maybe Zach Wilson isn't performing really well again. Then you start to have some concerns like that, and that's when things start to get bad for an organization. That's exactly what happened with Sam Darnold. You didn't see any noticeable jumps. It gave him four years to try it, and you saw no jumps from him. Uh, and, and if you are not going to, if they're not going to have any jumps, then again, it's going to be the exact same process over again. But this is this is what you expect from a year one rebuild right here. So I'm not I'm not going to go ahead and say that they're going to have no jumps next year. Like I really don't know yet. It, we, this is what we've seen on paper from every team that is rebuilding in this case. I think of rebuilds the same way that I think of, I think of them more like from the off season. So it's like coming up is off season two of your rebuild. So then after that, it's going to be off season three and then the rebuilds over. It's like after off season three, the three year rebuild model should be over and then you're ready to compete. And in fairness, yeah, the jets have a lot of cap space there and the jets have two draft picks in the first round this year, which basically reminds me of exactly what, the Bengals were in last year, which is just, you have the draft pick that's going to make them a a player in the draft. They happen to have a second one from the Jamal Adams trade, which could work out, could not, we'll find out. And they have all this cap space. So I guess that is fair that Zach Wilson's going to get a better chance to prove himself next year. Might not be, might not be the greatest chance. It's just, he's going to get a chance to prove it next year. We just need to see something that tells us that, Hey, Zach Wilson is a guy that we can, believe in for the future right like we we got these signs from other quarterbacks in the past we, we saw those games where maybe they didn't win maybe they didn't do very very well in general but we saw a throw or two or we just saw a play that we were like all right this is the guy this is the guy that we can use and trust in the future to be good and so i i think as long as you're able to see that from zach wilson next year you're in good shape right like there's there's going to be a play there's going to be something that happens that you can be like okay this is a guy that you know he's gonna make a play and we know that this is going to be a franchise guy for the future. And that's all they, that's all I need to say from Zach Wilson. They just need to see some hope. Which on the flip side of this, which is super confusing is the Chicago bears where it feels like they're about to start the rebuild by firing Nagy and pace, but they've already drafted the quarterback and have no draft picks left anymore. So I, I don't know how that one's going to work out for them. It's, it's funny how that one worked out and trying to try to figure out things we've seen before. Cause I feel like the three-year rebuild model is something we throw out a lot. I feel like we just do that because we've seen it succeed a lot. Like we saw it work with the Browns in breaking their curse. We've seen it work with the Bengals now in breaking their situation. We've seen it with the chargers and now they're going to be competitive in Herbert's second year, which is basically third year of a rebuild. Uh, Washington is supposed to be good. We saw the giants try and do it, even though they missed on every pick. Like, it feels like it's easy to to, to recognize because we've seen it so many times now over the past few years. And the Jets are kind of following the model that's been laid in front of them by lots of teams that were in similar situations. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I really think the reason why we are just so pessimistic about the Jets and how, they're, how this rebuild is going to go in the future is because we just saw this exactly happen with Sam Donald. We saw this exact same thing happen right now. So who's to say that this, anything's changed? We're not going to assume anything changed because we haven't seen anything change yet with the Jets. So I definitely think it's understandable to look into this and be like, hey, I, I don't think this is a team that I can trust to be good for the future. I, I, I don't blame anyone for thinking that. Um, 
but I, I definitely will say I, I think I just think every rebuild is so different, right? And this is a completely new coaching staff. This is a completely new football team in general. I mean, they are a lot different than what they were last year, obviously. So we we really just cannot assume that they are not going to work out because this is a different football team. So would you like to play our game now that I have Let's prepared for us? So Let's do it. To, to, to try and separate the, the chaos of the in-the-hunt graphics or in-the-mix, as we like to call it, with about 12 teams that have a chance of making the playoffs but don't really have a chance of making the playoffs because they're all like six teams are fighting for one playoff spot at the end of the year. Um, I, I've proposed a little game here where you and I are going to go back and forth drafting teams that we have confidence in and see how many points we can rack up at the end of the season. And I've created a very convoluted scoring system to figure out how we do this. So we're just going to go back and forth, picking the teams that still have a chance left in the season. And uh, I have set up this scoring system for how we develop points. I'll go over this again. So if a team makes the playoffs, you get one point. If they win a wild card game, you get two points. If they win a wild card game on the road, so being the higher seed, they get three points. If you win in the divisional round, you also get three points. If you win the divisional round on the road, your team gets four points. If you make the Super Bowl, you get six. If you win the Super Bowl, you get eight. So... That's our scoring system once we get to the end. But the system's changed that we're incentivized to maybe pick teams that could pull upsets in the playoffs. That's our uh, that's our little twist in the game is rewarding people okay. for picking teams in the mix that make the playoffs. And if a team pulls an upset in the playoffs, you get more points in your favor. So mm. that's how that's how I've set up the scoring system for this game. Interesting. All right. I'm, I'm interested. I'm excited for this. Yeah, so we have 24 teams on the table. I've eliminated the eight teams that have no chance of making the playoffs anymore, which is Detroit, Jacksonville, Houston, the Jets, the Chicago Bears, the Giants, the Seahawks, and the Carolina Panthers. Those teams have no chance left of making it to the playoffs. If the Panthers or Seahawks go on a four-game winning streak, I tip my cap to both of you for somehow making it as the seven seed. Uh, but I'm going to declare your seasons over for those teams. Did so, you say how many players, how many teams are going to draft? So like- there are 24 left available. We're each going to pick 12 back and forth. Okay. And then I'm going to keep a list and then we'll add up all the point totals at the end to see who is going to end up with the most points. So I've got you and I've got me on this list and I'm going to, we're going to pick the teams back and forth between the 24 that are left in the playoffs. So if you, if a team just misses the playoffs, you get no points if you make the playoffs and lose in the wild card, you get one. If you win in the wild card, two. Win on the road for the wild card, three. Win the divisional round, three points. Win divisional round on the road, four. Uh, make the Super Bowl, six. Win the Super Bowl, eight points. So that's how gotcha. we've set up the system back and forth. I have no idea what the strategy is for this game because I just made up the point system on the fly. <laughs> so we have no analytics to work with here. All right. Uh, you know who's picking first? Uh, I am giving you the first choice uh, because you are the guest 
and right. I would be mean to pick first, even though there is a team I want to have first and foremost all the way through. All right. So I, I, I didn't realize that the Super Bowl was going to be as big of a part. So I'm going to obviously pick the Super Bowl contenders first right now. And my first pick is going to go to the Green Bay Packers. I really think the Green Bay Packers, uh, this is one of the most ta- more talented teams already in the NFL, and they just now got the Darius Smith, Jair Alexander, and David Bakhtiari back. This is a team getting a lot of reinforcements right now. They can start to roll here soon, and I really do think that they are one of the hottest teams currently in the NFL, and I think all teams should be really fearing them right now because they are a very, very dangerous team. I'm glad you didn't pick the team I wanted, so I will take my boy Patty Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs with the first pick because the Kansas City Chiefs are going to probably make the Super Bowl in the AFC. Uh, they, uh, I know coach of the year that we kind of give out is kind of like the whose team was very surprising this year and we should give the award to their coach because they outperformed. It's probably going to be Bill Belichick. I'd like to give Andy Reid some nod for, defe- for uh, coach of the year because totally reinventing your offensive system on the fly this year has been a really, really successful strategy for the Kansas city chiefs. And I think that Andy Reid deserves some nod for coach of the year. Cause they've totally, they've totally changed how they run their offense in six weeks. And it's been just enough to win every single game that they've played. So including against some semi difficulties, I know they played like Jordan loves Packers and the Cowboys without Amari Cooper or CD lamb for the second half. But uh, seven wins in a row after I assume they beat the chargers tonight, Andy Reed, totally reinventing the offense on the fly. I would like to just stake my claim here once for Andy Reed winning coach of the year in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, really has got, had a great season. And obviously I, I agree with you. I think Bill Belichick's probably going to be the one, um, who, uh, who, uh, is going to get the award. Right. But I definitely think we have to credit and, and recognize that, you know, this has been a, a very, very good uh, uh, season uh, for um, for Bill Belichick and, and, and what we've seen from him, or, or so Andrew Reid, what we've seen from him so far to completely kind of reset and just become um, what we basically think of as like a, a, a new coach at this point. I mean, like he, he has completely revamped this entire, uh, you know, uh, Chiefs team. And I, I really want to, that, that is, he does deserve, deserve a lot of credit for that. You have the next pick. All right, I'm going to take the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, I, I really think uh, I'm going to stick in the NFC, uh, I guess, because I really, really think uh, the winner of the playoffs comes from the NFC this year. It just feels like they're obviously the more talented division right now. Uh, and the AFC is just so confusing and so bunched up. I don't want to take any risks on any AFC teams yet. So I'm just going to go with the guaranteed teams I know can make the playoffs to be good right now. And the Rams going to be another one of those teams I can definitely trust to be successful and, and win football games. They obviously have... Cooper Cup right now has been an elite offensive weapon. They already had their elite defensive guys, Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey. Uh, they have star power, and star power is always something that plays so, such a big factor in the playoffs. And people don't ever recognize that enough about how often the stars are the ones who to make the plays. Um, I really think the Rams have what it takes to win the Super Bowl in the future uh, this year, and I, I think they, they are probably the next favorite to, to me next to the Packers and Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. So this is this is where strategy comes into play here, because I could either take all the AFC teams, guarantee that I get one in the Super Bowl and then just say like the entire tournament comes down to who wins the Super Bowl. 
or I could start taking NFC teams just to, to take the chance of either of us getting both teams in the Super Bowl here. So this is, this is a difficult strategy move I have here, and I don't know which is smarter in the analysis. So I'm just going to take the team that I have the next most confidence in to make the Super Bowl, which is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I will take Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who I feel like right up there with the Rams and, and Cardinals, it would be a fun matchup to watch them play in the playoffs. It would be, it would be fun to watch Tampa Bay versus Los Angeles uh, matchup in the playoffs because both of that, that would feel like a chess move game where the Rams strength is going to be passing the ball against a poor Buccaneers passing defense and Tampa Bay's strength is going to be running the ball. And obviously all of their offensive weapons in the secondary against the Rams who defensively can only contain so much. I think the Rams are ranked like 16th in DVOA on defense this year. So I would want to see Tampa Bay play the Rams in the second round of the playoffs this year. Cause that could be like a semi pseudo Super Bowl matchup. Or if the yeah. Packers end up with the one seed, then that being a matchup to see who plays the Packers in the NFC championship would be awesome. That would be really, really cool. Uh, I- I'm-, I'm looking forward to that already. My next pick, though, is going to stay in the NFC yet again. I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals because I think they are another one of the hottest teams in the league right now. They, they look really, really good. I'm really impressed with the way Kyler Murray's. Uh, you know, there are some, still some questions that he's had. But I'm impressed with the way he came back from his injury, unlike the last uh, season where he kind of fell apart at the end of the season after his injury. Uh, I, I do think this is a football team that is capable of, of winning the Super Bowl again this year. I, I really think, um, you know, the Rams have obviously kind of shown to be their – uh, their biggest challenger right now, but even then they've been able to prove that they can beat the Rams. And uh, I definitely think I look at this, I look at what they have on as a roster. And I, I really do think that this, this roster has every, everything that it takes to become a Super Bowl team at the next level. Now I will say, I do have some concerns about their cornerback room. Of course, uh, I do think there are potentially some problems that they could rise into at the, in, in the playoffs, which is why I didn't take immediately with the first or second pick. But I, I definitely think that they have the star power yet again, necessary. Uh, to be a, a pretty solid team. Well, I was waiting for you to bring this up so we could talk about this on the podcast and not dip into our our vivid conversation about Urban Meyer and the Jets. Um, in terms of pl- football that actually matters, what'd you make of DeAndre Hopkins being gone now for the Arizona Cardinals? Because he only had <laughs> 600 yards this year in about you know 10 games, and now he's going to be gone until presumably the playoffs for the Cardinals. So the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs no matter what. They're maybe going to win the NFC West, maybe not. I think that's more semantics at that point. But what did what did you make of the DeAndre Hop, uh, DeAndre Hopkins injury being longer than we initially thought for the Cardinals? Uh, yeah, this is normally what you see from receivers that are nearing the ends of their careers, right? Like you, you see these injuries kind of linger. You see them take. I'm not going to say Andrew Hawkins is declining, but you see a, a notable step back. I mean, I, I do think this is this is something to be concerned about if you're the if you're the Cardinals, because obviously, uh, you know, you have guys like Rondell Moore and Christian Kirk there who are, are, who are very very solid. But outside of that, I mean, you have AJ Green and DeAndre Hawkins, which are obviously declining receivers right now, uh, or or not declining receivers, but receivers that are going to be declining here in the near future. I, Formerly I once great receivers who are no longer like legitimate, like top ten threats. 
DeAndre exactly. Hopkins might still be DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not going to say it's over yet, but the injuries are concerning considering I found out this week in shocking fashion. This is the eighth year of DeAndre Hopkins career. Feels like he hasn't been around that long, but this is year eight for DeAndre Hopkins. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I definitely think that, you know, you, you look at the trajectory that that's headed at. Why does he be another need for the Cardinals here soon? Uh, and that is kind of crazy to say, but at the same time, I think it's true. Uh, I definitely think they need to find another younger guy that is reliable enough to become a wide receiver one for their team. Uh, after DeAndre Hopkins, of course, leaves uh, or, or retires or or just isn't as good anymore, of course. Uh, so I, I, I am interested to see where they, they head in this direction if they're going to look to maybe try to find uh, ways to make Hopkins contract shorter and smaller in the future, or if they're just going to bank on Hopkins to be better, because I think that that could be affected. Of course they could, that could play into this, but uh, seeing an injury like this normally kind of feels like the beginning of the end for a receiver like Hopkins. And I, I hate to say that because he's been such a great receiver for so long. Um, definitely one of the best receivers of this decade, I think fairly easily. Uh, but I, I do think I should, I should definitely, if you're, if you're a Cardinals fan, you should definitely be concerned for sure. I'm I'm glad that you took the Cardinals with this pick because I was afraid that if I took Tampa, you were going to take New England next. But I'm gonna I'm gonna slide in and take the New England Patriots next up on this list. So I got the Patriots at six. We've done three or four podcasts in the last two weeks on the Patriots. I feel like enough's been said there. I'll swing it back to you. I'm gonna go with a bit of a surprising team this time, uh, and a team that I still have a lot of faith in to be successful this year. That's the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I, I really, really think the Buffalo Bills are a team that is still going to find a way to make the playoffs. I, I do. I, and I think that they're probably going to be a wild card team. So they might want one of these wild card games. And honestly, if you can give me any team, the AFC is currently in the wild card like Super Bowl this year, it would by far be Buffalo. I think Buffalo has a the talent there to be successful. I really, really like Josh Allen still, despite his struggles that he's had. I really, or, well, not only struggles, but despite the struggles the offense in general has had. Uh, I definitely think their biggest problem has obviously been the running game. Uh, but they, they are finding, they're slowly finding ways to fix that. We've seen Singletary have a pretty solid game last week. Uh, we, we are seeing these team, this team kind of find its identity more or less now. Uh, and, and I really do, I do expect them to, to start to win some games and find a way in the playoffs and maybe even win a couple. I've got two teams that I'm looking at here. Cause I, I agree with you. Like people who are thinking Buffalo is going to miss the playoffs. I'm like, Buffalo is still pretty talented like it's disappointing that they're not winning the division but they're still going to be the five seed in the afc at least i feel like and if they're not five it's going to be semantics because of a tiebreaker and they'll get the six seed instead but buffalo buffalo is going to definitely be in the playoffs i feel confident there there's two teams i'm stuck on now with this pick and i think i'm gonna risk it and here take the dallas cowboys I'll take the Cowboys because I know they're going to host a playoff game, even if it's as the four seed, even if it's against either the Rams or Cardinals, who I think are slightly better teams than the Cowboys. I'm still going to take the Cowboys and hope they maybe win one playoff game. I can see that. Uh, That's a solid pick. All right. Uh, Next up, I'm going to maybe go with another surprise surprising team I think and I'm gonna take the Indianapolis Colts here uh I really think the Colts are another very very hot team that I think are are looking to find some success all of a sudden and I, I think like I said this is this is the reason why I didn't pick any a- in a- AFC teams at first because all these AFC teams I feel like are so evenly matched outside of the Chiefs uh and maybe Patriots you can argue um 
even then though, I think they're actually pretty evenly matched. I think I think any of these wild card teams like the Patriots or like the Colts, the Bills are very very capable. Maybe even likely to upset the the higher seed in the playoffs this year. I can definitely see a case where we see a five and six seed in the playoffs become. Uh, you know, maybe in the AFC Championship divisional round or something like that. So, or AFC Conference Championship. So, I, I am. I, I really think that those teams are gonna be pretty solid. So I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with the Colts here. Uh, to the next AFC team, I guess that I, I think can uh, have a chance of uh, picking up some good points. I was talking about the same thing on on Monday for our post NFL Sunday podcast, and and I was talking about how matchups are gonna matter so much in the AFC playoffs because. Last year with the Colts, I've talked about this before, like the Colts should have been up 21 to seven on the Buffalo Bills at halftime of that seven versus two playoff game last year. Like if they don't get stopped on three consecutive plays at the goal line and Rodrigo Blankenship doesn't miss a field goal, they're up 21 or 24 seven on the Bills instead of down 14 10 at halftime. And so the Colts, like by matchup, could have beat the Buffalo Bills as the two seed, as the seven seed last year. So the same thing can happen again this year because everyone's got different weird matchups. It's why I'm going to hope in a prayer that Lamar Jackson comes back at some point and take the Baltimore Ravens with my next pick. Just in the in the Ooh. weird off chance that Lamar Jackson does get healthy enough for the playoffs, I'll take Baltimore because even with all the ridiculous injuries they've had this year, I could still see a scenario where Baltimore beats the Patriots in the playoffs. Okay. I like that one as well. Uh, I think it's a pretty solid pick. Uh, next up for me, I think this is mainly because I know they're going to be in the division around this year. I think they're obviously the best divisional team in the NFC out of this crazy group of mediocre teams. I'm going to take the San Francisco 49ers. I-, I love what I saw from them last week. George Kittle, I think, is the best tight end in the NFL after seeing what, what happened last week. I don't think it's a debate anymore. Uh, Have I you seen his Kelsey. stats over the last two weeks? It is over 20. What? I know he has over 300 yards receiving. Sorry, it's 24 catches for 330 yards receiving. Yeah. In I mean, two games. Unreal. And, and it wasn't even like they were going single coverage. I mean, I, of course, I watched every single Bengals game and paid attention. The Bengals were doubling him and, and even tripling him sometimes. And Kelsey was just finding ways to make ridiculous catches over the middle. Oh, muted, muted. Uh, even, even, I mean, we, we saw the Bengals, of course, double team them, triple team them, everything like that. And even whenever they did that, whenever the Seahawks, or the Seahawks, 49ers needed a touchdown. What did they do? Do it to Kelsey every single time. First down, first down, first down, first down. 20-yard catch, first down. Bengals were like, okay, let's triple team Travis Kelsey. What, what are we going to do? Pass I love that you're outside. interchanging Kittle with touchdown. Kelsey. You've done that twice. I'm Kittle. like, yeah, he's basically oh like God. Travis Kelsey. Oh, my God. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Kittle, Kittle. They're basically the same uh, person, though. Like, it's it's basically like Kittle is just giant Kelsey. <laughs> but a much better blocker, of course. And I think that's a, that's a, definitely an aspect that we had to pay attention to in, in terms of deciding who the best uh you know tight end in the nfl is right like i mean i think i think kelsey is the best receiving tight end right now i think kittle's probably the close second and i would even put darren waller there third um but in terms of overall we just cannot we can just cannot deny how valuable of a blocker travis kelsey is as well to be able to make the right game so dangerous every single time i mean they he is opening up keyholes for guys like Debo Samuel, uh, Jeffrey Wilson, Jermichael Hasty, guys like that who are who are getting into the next level and making good plays. Even Elijah Mitchell, who was hurt last week, um, I, I definitely want to I definitely want to credit him for 
being a utility guy really at tight end. He's not, he's doing everything. And you don't see that normally from stars. Normally the stars have a certain aspect of like receiving where they're especially elite at right now. Uh, I would say George Kittle is an elite receiver at tight end, but he's also really good at everything else as well. And that, that is really impressive. This has been an interesting change from the 49ers Super Bowl team, which is the 49ers have really good skill position players. And we always used to say, oh, the 49ers problem is that they don't have great skill position players on offense. Now they have some of the best skill position players in the entire NFL, which is a weird change over the last two years. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really it's really been heavily reliant on Debo and, and Kittle, of course, but they are both two, I think, top five at the positions pretty clearly. I think Debo's probably fifth and I would say Kittle right now is probably second in terms of this year in the NFL of how or, or first I mean uh in terms of how successful they've been this year in the NFL at least but um I I think uh I look at I look at uh you know guys like Brandon Ayuk like you mentioned uh even guys like Juwan Jennings who's been, been pretty solid this year Elijah Mitchell who's been really really good surprisingly they found success in other key other role player parts uh and and uh, that that has really helped them can push it kind of ne- to the next level these last couple of weeks this is, a, this is a low upside one, but I'm looking at who's left and it's kind of gross. So I'm just going to, I'm going to take reluctantly the Tennessee Titans. Like maybe, maybe Derrick Henry plays a playoff game, but I'm going to, I'm going to reluctantly pick the Titans next on here. Cause the, the, after that, it's a whole lot of mess of teams that we don't know what's going to happen, but I'll at least get one point for sure. Cause they'll make the playoffs. So I'll take the Titans. Next up for me, I'm actually going to take the Minnesota Vikings, who have been just so confusing this year, but I think are still in the position to make the playoffs, which is really funny. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, like obviously, this has again been a very, very confusing uh, couple of uh, of um, weeks, or just this is a very confusing year for the Vikings in general. But they have the talent there necessary to, to win football games. We we've we saw them, I think, start to kind of. Uh, I think hit their stride in a way uh, these last couple of weeks. I want to say uh, they, they, you know, Dalvin Cook's finding success. They have Justin Jefferson, of course, being that workhorse guy. They have KJ Osborne playing really, really well right now. And I also Adam Thielen's finally coming back and, and is starting uh, to perform again. So they have a healthy roster. They have guys that are out there and necessary. The defense does worry me, but I think Kirk Cousins has actually been falling out this year, which is crazy for me to say that. But uh, and, and I think if he's able to do that in the playoffs, they can win. A, they can win a game. They could they could maybe get there, win a game in the what I'm calling the bottomless pit of hell for the NFC seventh seed. They could they could pull something off and get that seventh seed. Uh, for people keeping track at home, this is essentially the 14th pick, which means this is the last playoff spot. Theoretically, everything else after this will be teams that don't make the playoffs, which means we'd get zero points for them unless they go on miraculous runs. And so the dilemma I have here is. There's one playoff spot left and the Chargers and the Bengals are available. And so I could either steal the Bengals right now or I could take the Chargers and let Blake have his team. I believe the Chargers have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Bengals, even though the Bengals, the Bengals play someone easy this week, right? The Bengals, the Bengals Bron- have an easy they play the Broncos. The Broncos, they'll probably win that game. If they, assuming they win that game, and I assume the Chargers have already lost to the Chiefs by the time people are listening to this, they would have the same record with three weeks to go. So I could either take the Bengals and then force 
Blake to go against the Bengals and have the Chargers, who they'll probably be fighting for the last playoff spot with. Or I could take the Chargers, who I actually think have a better chance of making the playoffs. But I could also be wrong about that because no one knows shit about football. So... (laughs) I'm going to take I, I, the Chargers. I, I, I'm going to take let, the let Chargers. Say, let me say something real quick. I, I really do think in terms of wild card, the Chargers are definitely much more favored to make the playoffs than the Bengals. But the Bengals also have a very, very good chance of somehow making out of this division as a winner, which is crazy That's to say. That's the other like, dumb part is that with Lamar Jackson out, they can win the division. Right. So they just I, I, I think the, the Bengals, Ravens again. I think the Bengals make the playoffs. It's probably going to be through the division, which is crazy for me to say and imagine this year. But at the same time, that's just kind of how it goes. Hey, 16 of the last 18 years in the NFL, a team has gone worst to first in their division. The Bengals would be that team this year. Yeah, uh, let's hope so, because I'm taking the Bengals next. I have to. I think this is the only other team I can see right now being what I would imagine in the playoffs, because uh, we're right at the position now. We're talking about borderline teams, right? Uh, and, and I think the Bengals are the first team I kind of think of there. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of back and forth struggles between the Bengals. They've had great moments. They've had really bad moments. They're a very unpredictable team, just like the Vikings are. But whenever they're hot, they're hot. And let's hope that, that happens here soon for Cincinnati because I, I, I need it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to next take the 19 players on COVID. And the fact that I said that and you don't know which team I'm talking about is pretty incredible right now because there are two teams that that could be true about still available on the board. Uh, I could be talking about the Browns or I could be talking about Washington of 19 players on COVID, but I'm going to take the Cleveland Browns as my next pick for similar reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think Cleveland's probably the next best, uh, probably the next favorite to win the, the AFC North, of course. And also a good chance of making the, uh, the uh, wild card as well with, with ways things are looking right now. They, uh, of course, uh, had a big winning as the Ravens. So uh, I think that they're, they're looking pretty solid for that spot as well. If we um, assume that Buffalo and the Colts will make the playoffs, though, that means that there's only one AFC playoff spot or AFC wild card spot left. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, man, this is tough um i'm gonna go gosh this is bad um are you looking at the nfc race for the seventh seed because yeah it's absolutely atrocious yeah like my bet my best picks right now are the eagles and saints like (laughs) oh um and that doesn't even include washington (laughs) Right. I mean, I don't even consider Washington right now. Um, I agree with you on that, by the way. Everyone else thinks it's crazy because Washington was in the playoffs for the last two weeks. I'm like, nope, Washington's not a playoff team. I'm going to take Eagles here with this pick. I think that I I know this is crazy, but I think that Eagles outside of of the obvious of being right now Washington or Washington, uh, excuse me, the Vikings and the, the 49ers being the, no, the next two playoff seeds. I think the Eagles are probably the next favorite to make it out of that group. I think they're, I think they are right now better than Washington football team. I think without Jameis Winston, of course, the Saints are just unpredictable. I don't trust Taysom Hill. I don't like Taysom Hill as a quarterback. I just don't think it's going to work out for them. So I really think that next best team is going to be the Eagles at this point. And um, if the Vikings don't make it, it's probably going to be Philadelphia and, that's all I got to say, because I really don't think they win a playoff game. But if they make a playoff, I'm happy. 
Yeah, this is the kind of the, the dark territory we're at now. Um, I'm going to pick New Orleans. And the reason I'm going to pick New Orleans is because we changed the name of their team this week in our campaign to get the Saints to make the playoffs because it would be more fun than watching any of the other crappy teams in the NFC in the playoffs. So the uh, New Orleans Saints are no longer called the New Orleans Saints. For the next four weeks, they are the New Orleans Camaras because that nice. team is starts, begins, and finishes with Alvin Kamara. And I am fully expecting him to score 12 touchdowns in the next four games to carry the Saints to the playoffs because their entire <laughs> chance just starts by running Alvin Kamara into the ground. Is that a good idea? Probably not. He's a running back in his fifth year. It's probably not good to give a running back tons of carries like that. At the same time, your only chance is to just run Alvin Kamara into the ground, and that's how you're going to make the playoffs. So I'll take the New Orleans Kamaras this week as my next pick. <laughs> yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, and probably the next favorite, I would say. Uh, after that, he yeah, starts to get really tough. Um, I'm going to take the Denver Broncos uh, as my next team because I really think that you know, if they beat the Bengals this week, right? I mean, that, that all of a sudden, we're talking about them being they're in the, the playoffs. They're, they're in the playoffs, the playoffs right? if they beat De- if they beat the Bengals. And assuming that by the time people are listening to this, the Chiefs have pulverized the Chargers. Right, right. So, I mean, this is this is a big time game this week, and I already picked the Bengals, so at least I'm guaranteed that I think one of the, whoever wins that game has a very good chance of making the playoffs. So, I, I will take the Broncos just to be kind of like a safety blanket in case the Bengals are somehow lose this game. In the back of my mind, I was hoping one of us would take the Dolphins before the Broncos just to totally disrespect Denver because I was having this conversation with someone about it. It's like Denver can make the playoffs over the Chargers. And they're like, uh, um, what's it called? They're like, the Broncos have a tiebreaker over them. I'm like, yeah, but the Chargers have an offense. I feel like that's more (laughs) important than a tiebreaker is having an actual offense that can move the football against a serviceable defense. Right. So the thing that's tough here is I just, I, I can just never imagine the Dolphins to ever beat the Bills or the team, uh, Patriots right now. And that's just going to be really tough for them. Well, the Broncos somehow managed to already beat the Chargers. So I think there's a possibility where the Broncos can get over the Chargers in some sort of way. I just don't see the Dolphins being able to do that. They'd have to beat out, literally probably have to beat out all the AFC North teams <laughs> to make it in. Yeah, I think you're right. So we got five teams left on the board here. Two in the NFC, one and three in the AFC. Uh, one of those is disgusting Washington, which I don't want to touch that one, but a lot of these teams are kind of disgusting. So uh, I'll take the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll take the, the off chance that Pittsburgh miraculously makes the playoffs. Man, this gets uh, even tougher. Um, I'm going to take... Honestly, we probably could have just ended the game right here. We could have just ended the game and said, yeah, none of these other teams have a chance of making the playoffs. Right, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking the Dolphins next year. I mean, in terms of uh, being hot, the Dolphins are hot. And if a couple of things go their way and they went out, you know, they could be 10 and 7. So, I mean, anything is possible. The Dolphins have been rolling. So, mm, I'm not going to try to convince myself that they're ever going to make the playoffs. But, uh, no, you know, but, if there's a, but we've still, we can still celebrate this. We can still celebrate right. this magical Dolphins run for the first time in NFL history that a team has lost seven consecutive games than won five consecutive games. We can yeah, still celebrate I, that. I, yeah, and I think it deserves to be celebrated. So I'm going to take them over the Falcons. So congratulations, Dolphins. <laughs> I'm also going to give you a magical victory lap because you were <laughs> dead on about Tua. You were 
spot on about Tua's development. You thought it was too early to put him in before, and now he's gotten time and he's gotten a better defensive protection and they gave him some weapons and lo and behold, Tua looks like a serviceable quarterback. So I'm going to say you are goddamn right about Tua. Yeah. I mean, it just, it was just more of the case of Tua just coming back. He needed to come back from an injury. He was already a, a pretty unreliable quarterback to begin with in terms of having the mental capabilities of reading NFL defenses at a high level. He had a lot of physical tools, a lot of like really good arm, of course, all those traits, but he needed time. Right. And I, I just thought that, you know, we, 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 they, they gave him a shot. Sure. You can give him a shot if you're getting blown out. I don't mind that, but to, to rely on him to be a future starter quarterback over Ryan Fitzpatrick at the time who was balling out. I just don't agree with that at all. And yeah, I think, it, I think it aged pretty well. Cause I mean, I, I would argue right now, I'd probably pick two over Ryan Fitzpatrick if I had to pick one, but last year that of course wasn't the case. He just needs some time. Yeah. And you were right. Tua looks like a serviceable quarterback. Now he had an 80% completion percentage in the month of November. So that uh, he's looked like a very serviceable quarterback, which we couldn't have said beforehand about Tua. So you were, you were spot on there. Um, yeah, I'm going to take Washington. I'm going to take <laughs> Washington. And I don't like it, but it's either, it's either them or Atlanta. And we, we already talked about how Atlanta is 28th offensive DVOA, 28th defensive DVOA, and one of the healthiest teams in the NFL this year. So they just, They've been ridiculously lucky in one possession games this year. The the one against the Saints where Matt Ryan completed that Hail Mary with one minute to go. Uh, last week, if Cam Newton, if, if, if uh, I forgot what his name was, but I think it's Michael Walker is a player for the Falcons. Uh, if he drops the pick six on Cam Newton, then they lose last week and we swap them and the Panthers in this game and they're they're eliminated. So the Falcons have just been really lucky in one possession games, which technically was enough for the Bears to make the playoffs last year. But uh, yeah, no, I'm just going to take Washington because because why not? So who, who are the teams we have left? We have is Atlanta and and uh, Vegas, Vegas. OK, Uh God, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going to take Atlanta. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I mean, I just don't see a way Vegas makes it in the playoffs this year. And I think the only thing Atlanta has going for them is the fact that this is such a bad NFC wild card that maybe there's a chance they can somehow sneak in. But, like, they're definitely the least favorite out of that group. They're the worst out of that group of that terrible group. So, I definitely think the Raiders have a better team uh, than the uh, Falcons, but in terms of having a better chance to make it, I think the Falcons have a better chance to make it just because of how bad everyone else is there. While the Raiders are what I would say one of the hardest divisions in football right now in the AFC West are all looking really good. And I honestly think all three teams are better than the Raiders. So at least the Falcons are, I think have a chance to be better than the, the, Fal- uh, the uh, Panthers and Saints. So, Sort yeah, of, I guess. I don't know. Honestly, you know, looking back, I put 24 teams in here. We could have stopped after 20. We didn't need to do Dolphins <laughs> and Washington and Atlanta and Vegas. Like, technically, they have six wins, all of them, but none of us actually think they're good. It's just a technicality that they happen to have six wins. Right. Yeah. They're like, they're, they're still mathematically in, but are they really? <laughs> no, no, we, we know they're not actually good. They're, they're going to, by the way, I think if the season ended today, like the Falcons would be six and seven, but also have like the nine pick in the draft or something like that. Right. Uh, yeah. There's a very good chance that that's how it kind of goes this year. What was it, a couple of years ago? I think it was a team that was seven and nine that had the, uh, was it sixth or seventh pick? So, uh, there's a chance that, uh, 
maybe yeah, it happens again this year. We see a pretty solid record that ends up getting a top 10 pick. I know the year that the 49ers got McGlinchey with like the ninth pick, they were like six and 10 that year. I don't know about a seven and 19 being that high, but it was kind of weird that like at six and 10, they had the, the number nine pick in the draft. I don't know about anyone seven and nine having a pick as high. This is just a weird year where everyone has kind of in the middle. Well, I want to say, I want to say Cincinnati back in 2016 went seven and nine and they had pick 11. And I think they were tied with another team who had a top 10. I think it had two teams. So it was like nine and 10. So, and they were 11. I think I could was be, this could the be year they took John Ross. Jonah, uh, Jonah Williams. The, oh, Jonah Williams the, year. That was, yes. that's right. They did have the 11 pick that year. Yes. And they were seven to nine, I believe. And I think okay. that they tied with two teams. I could be wrong though. I, maybe I'm just pulling this out of, out of nowhere, but uh, no, uh, Jonah Williams was the 11 pick. I remember that he was the yeah. 11 pick in the draft. I remember, I don't remember who it was, but the, whoever that team was traded with Pittsburgh who traded up to get Devin Bush. I think they oh, also um, it was, it was, uh, they traded to 20. They took attack Denver. It was Denver. Okay. I think Denver went seven to nine that year. I think that sounds Maybe. about right. <laughs> Denver going yeah, so seven and nine seems to fit to fits the bill. Denver, yeah, Denver being seven and nine that. sounds right. <laughs> I don't question that. <laughs> yeah. It's either seven and nine or six and 10. It was one of those, one of those Vance Joseph years that they either went seven and nine or six and 10. Right. Yeah. So I, someone's going to have seven wins and end up with the top 10 pick in the draft this year. And Carolina for the third consecutive year is going to have the eighth pick in the draft. It's kind of unbelievable. The third straight year, they're going to have the eight pick in the draft. How is it that a team is so different each year, but are still just the same? Perpetual mediocrity. Carolina Panthers are one of these eight perpetually mediocre franchises. We also know they might be dysfunctional now, like we talked about last week with Joe Brady, like might be dysfunctional as an organization. I mean, I, honestly, I, I I thought Joe Brady had a very good chance of being the next NFL head coach, uh, the next great offensive mind, really, in the NFL. And to see that kind of just not happen at all shocks me to this day. Like, I still don't believe that. Yeah, let it let him go be an offensive coordinator somewhere. It'll it'll somewhere with an actual quarterback. I think people will start to to huh. jump Cincinnati. back on the hype train. Cincinnati. Yeah, no, we, we were talking about him being the head coach. If you fired Zach Taylor, you don't even need to do that anymore. You can get him as the OC. That's even more perfect. You get to have Joe Brady, and we get to keep laughing at Zach Taylor, who looks like white privilege. <laughs> exactly yeah i mean hey if we get joe brady at office coordinator I'm, I'm, i would be ecstatic when you say that i i'm rooting for it to happen i want the lsu Bengals to be a thing i want the lsu Bengals to become a thing because we so have now we just need clyde and justin jefferson and we're set clyde justin jefferson you can go get like del pitt from the browns or something uh who is the other person? Like, that was, I think it was like Thaddeus Moss was on like your training camp roster. He's or something. still uh, he's on the practice squad right now. Yep. So there you go. Yeah, he's still there. He was the tight end on the LSU championship teams. Paris uh, Marshall. Yeah. Paris Marshall back. So you can you can get him. I mean, the Panther Panthers aren't really using him very much. You could get him pretty easily. Right. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe I, I a think... year from now he gets cut. To take all of our assets and just acquire all the all the LSU players. Draft Derek Stingley, of course. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> trade up to draft like Derek Stingley. Trade up like to give two first rounders up just to make sure you draft the corner from LSU. 
<laughs> I mean that, that that I would I would be here for that. I, I love I think it's really funny. Um, I actually have a friend who's a Steelers fan. But he's also a secondary LSU fan. He's like a he, because of how the Bengals are basically now LSU. He's also kind of cheering for the Bengals now as a Steelers fan, which is hilarious because I know he hates the uh, he hates the Bengals as a Steelers fan, but as an LSU fan, he loves them. Uh, so LSU fans are kind of slowly becoming extra Bengals fans, which is cool because we need anyone we can get. He may hate the Bengals, but he hates Brian Kelly even more. <laughs> yeah, no, without a doubt. <laughs> That was a joke. I'm not saying he actually hates Brian Kelly. It's just well, honestly, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I still, I mean, I'll say it right now, I didn't, I don't think it's a good hire uh, for LSU to get Brian Kelly. Now, I talked about last time, uh, but the more I think about it, the more I get worried that you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I feel like this is a big jump for Brian Kelly to go from Notre Dame to uh, LSU, and I do worry that. Um, I mean, I don't think it's a lot of. A lot of the great recruiting Notre Dame gets comes because of you know them having more of like a Catholic heritage. Of course, a lot of a lot of people of, of that faith and everything like that. You know that, that that's an immediate team that is always on top. Like you know immediately the first thing they think of uh, whenever they think of that. So I, I don't want to I don't want to try to be rude or anything here. But I mean, normally Notre Dame gets a lot of you know easy easy recruits because of that those reasons, right? And in LSU, you know. LSU is definitely in a power five school. It might be a lot more attractive from a college standpoint than Notre Dame, but at the same time, in terms of recruiting its other SEC teams, it's going to be very, very hard to do. And I don't know if Brian Kelly can do that at a high level. And I do worry Brian about Kelly that. Brian Kelly also, for LSU. though, doesn't have to work with academic standards anymore to get into Notre Dame. So that's a slight true, advantage true. in his direction. Yeah, there, there are certain things that factor into there. I just, I just don't, I, I'm not too positive on his recruiting skills. I know Orgeron was a very, very good recruiter, of course. He wasn't as good of an X's and O's coach. I think Brian Kelly might be definitely a better X's and O's coach than Brian Kelly, but I just wonder how recruiting is going to go now because, you know, we already see them losing a lot of recruits. Actually, I think it was just announced during a podcast, Miles Brennan's actually returning back to LSU, which I think is pretty good for them. Uh, but um, I, I do worry about, about how the recruiting is going to go now. Uh, if they can get good recruits, and as long as Brian Kelly's a good ex-O's no co- coach, then it should work out for him. Yeah, and I, I think the I think working out is kind of just based on people's definitions of working out. It's like, is it are, are they going to win nine games in the SEC? Yeah, they're going to win nine games in the SEC. Every now and then they'll go play in a Sugar Bowl or something like that. And maybe under the best of circumstances, they can beat Alabama one of these years. It feels like Jimbo Fisher all over again. It's like, they're going to be very good. They're going to play New Year's Six Bowl games. If you define that as success, then it's going to be a successful run for LSU. I just don't think they're going to have the, they have the possibility of a championship run, but I just don't think it's going to happen immediately. Like, I don't, I think just because you play in a conference with Alabama and Georgia, it's not going to happen in three, four years. You'll get back to being in big bowl games, but that's that's going to be at least a small victory because they've been what like twelve and eleven the last two years. And I also really, really think uh, the way Brian Kelly left Notre Dame actually kind of hurts LSU in a way because I mean, if you're a recruit and you see what Brian Kelly did to those Notre Dame players, leaving and basically sending them a message, being like, "Hey, I'm I'm leaving," even though we're about to make the playoffs, I have a good chance of making the playoffs. You know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stay. Uh, here anymore. And basically, I think if, if Brian Kelly's still Notre Dame head coach, I think they're probably in the playoffs right now. There's a very real chance that they are. And the fact that they that he left and Notre Dame, of course, moved down in the rankings, ended up not making the playoffs. Like that's I think that was a big I think deal. to to that point, if Georgia beats Alabama and Brian Kelly's the coach, they get in. I think Alabama beating Georgia took all the fun out of 
figuring out the college football playoff. Like it, no one was going to bump out because Alabama just swapped places with Georgia. Yeah, it, it's possible. I mean, I hate to say this yet again. Uh, I think I think there's maybe an argument that Notre Dame could have been in over maybe Cincinnati, but I don't know. They, I, I don't know. The head-to-head would have done him in. Though. Yeah, that, the head-to-head yeah, would have been the difference. That, that, that's that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I would have been interested. I just I don't put it past the committee to just scam Cincinnati out of a playoff spot. You know, like I can just see that happening. You know, yeah, somehow. Uh, totally but, fair. Totally fair. But uh, yeah, I don't know. You might be right. Yeah, I think it's yeah. probably definitely the the more likely scenario. But at the same time, I mean, to, to Notre Dame fans at that time, I mean, that, that immediately cost them a playoff spot, which is you know heartbreaking. And and how do recruits look at that? How do the recruits look at that head coach and be like, hey, you you know, you, you say you're not going to leave LSU, but you you left Notre Dame. <laughs> you know, like how can we trust you to not do the same to us? And I think it's a big problem that he's going to find a way to solve very quickly. To your point, I think the video probably hurt more than anything else. Because like Lincoln Riley went from Oklahoma to USC and all of the Oklahoma recruits were like, I'm decommitting from Oklahoma and going to USC. And that didn't hurt him at all. Uh, I think the video kind of hurt. Like getting to hear the audio transcript of the meeting kind of stunk for Brian Kelly. Like the fact that 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 is out there kind of stinks in the short term of like, oh, we can see you kind of being cold hearted in the transaction at the end. Uh, So that that probably does more. He, he deserved it though, because he was being cold hearted. I mean, I, I, I at least think Lincoln Riley went out in a way that all the recruits respected him, and they were like, you know, let's let's stand behind. We want to go live in Los Angeles see. too. We want to go right. play in LA too. <laughs> right, like they actually wanted to go with it. It says a lot to me that the team was so hyped that the defensive coordinator got the job, and they just had no love for Brian Kelly after he left. Like that, that worries me in terms of how that's going to affect LSU's program in the future, which is crazy how that works. But uh, in terms of of uh you know i guess the butterfly effect but at the same time i mean it's gonna play a big factor i mean that that that, that departure can be a big reason why lsu might have a couple of struggling seasons here in the next couple of years in the sec that makes it totally impossible <laughs> to figure out uh who's good and who's not because all of a sudden arkansas is winning seven games and you're just questioning everything you think arkansas wins eight games and like 30 percent of the conference is firing their coaches like <laughs> the sec is so hard to do these evaluations sometimes Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a weird, SEC is a weird conference, even though they're so good, they are still a weird conference. And it's going to get even more weird whenever Oklahoma and Texas join. Like that's going to be so crazy. And yet still, it's going to be Saban and Kirby (laughs) Smart at the top of the conference, just dominating and everyone's playing for second place, except that one magical LSU team that somehow beat Alabama totally easily. Do you think Oklahoma has a chance to be in that conversation as well? Oklahoma, probably Oklahoma's got money. So Oklahoma, I think of it kind of like resources, like there's groups in the SEC. So there's Alabama and Georgia. Then there's like a next tier of Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, LSU, Florida. Then there's like a next group that's like, I don't know, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, uh, Missouri, Tennessee, Tennessee, actually Tennessee might be in that group with Florida and them. Like, I know they haven't been good semi recently, but they were in the top 10 with Butch Davis. So Tennessee, Tennessee, maybe Tennessee's actually in the group with you guys, maybe Tennessee's down there too. Uh, And then there's just the sad sacks of crap, which are South Carolina Vanderbilt. (laughs) That's kind of just the very bottom of the conference, (laughs) except South Carolina got Rattler now. So maybe they're not Vanderbilt level yet. (laughs) 
Did you see he's the second favorite to win MVP next year? Or third favorite? I mean, third favorite to win MVP. Never mind that. Or maybe Heisman, maybe South Heisman, Carolina's Heisman. in that group too. Maybe South Carolina rebounds. It's just it's been a while since South Carolina was good at football in my mind. It's technically hasn't been that long. Like Jadavian Clowney was in an outback bowl like seven years ago, but it just feels like longer since South Carolina's been good at football. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous that Spencer Rattler is third favorite to win Heisman next year. I, I just that that shocks me. I mean, completely, utterly shocks me. I don't I don't see how that's the case at all. Is it just because we know the name? Like, I feel like we just don't oh, know any names year over year in college football. Like, that's kind of why people thought Sam Howell was going to be a Heisman favorite or DJ Oyungalale was going to be a Heisman favorite. It's just because we knew the names year over year. Like, we kind of knew Bryce Young, but he didn't play last year, so we didn't know him yet. We didn't know C.J. Stroud yet, other than just he's a recruit and we haven't seen him play yet. I feel like we just do this with names that we know because there aren't a lot of names in the sport. Right, but I mean, okay, so obviously the top two are Bryce Young and, and C.J. Stroud, but, uh, I mean, Rattler was three, and I don't even think it was that close. I want to say next after that might have been, like, who was next? Honestly, I, I, I might, it might have been like a running back. It might have been uh, B. John Robinson or something, someone like that. I was going to say, uh, isn't step. that part of the problem? Is that we just don't know the people who are going to be there next year? It's going to be a lot of like redshirt freshmen and sophomore guys. Like we maybe just don't at the know same a time, lot of the names. At the same time, I think I trust that over Spencer Rattler in South Carolina. Like I just, I mean, I would have put in Will Levis from Kentucky over over Spencer Rattler right now, right? Like that's I, a good one. Will, Will Levis, Levis is a Will good Le- one. He wasn't even um, on the list. What about the what like, about the guy who replaced him uh, at Oklahoma? Williams, yeah, he was below him. He was he was fourth. He, Spencer Rattler was one spot above him, which is ridiculous because Caleb <laughs> Williams literally outperformed him and played a lot better and went there. Like, I mean, I I don't understand that. That was now, okay. That been... Now that you say it like that, I think I understand it. It's just that they're moving the odds up because everyone's betting Spencer Rattler. I think that's just Vegas moving the odds up because everyone is betting Spencer Rattler and they want to incentivize people to bet Spencer Rattler. This is like um this is like in 2019 where Mitchell Trubisky was the favorite for MVP back in March because everyone was betting Mitchell Trubisky to win MVP and they just juiced it up a little bit. This seems like Vegas wants people to bet Spencer Rattler to win the Heisman. So they're just juicing up the numbers on it. Yeah. I mean, that's free money for Vegas. So I'm- exactly. <laughs> that's why they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, if, if anyone bets that, I- I'm sorry, you can just. That, that's Return also your- like how the the Freddie Kitchens Browns were the favorites to win the Super Bowl that year because everyone was betting the Browns after that seven eight and one season they had with Baker as a rookie. Just everyone yeah. was betting Brown Super Bowl, Brown Super Bowl. They're like, you should all bet Brown Super Bowl because the Browns might actually be good, and then they were just terrible. Yeah, I mean that is it's ridiculous to me that people were even trying to bet on Spencer Rattler with poor odds to begin with. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I just, I just don't see how a South Carolina quarterback, especially one that just got replaced by Caleb Williams, who's a true freshman who completely outplayed him is has any chance of, of being even in contention for a Heisman. I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't even think, okay. I don't even think he'll be a top 10 SEC quarterback. Look at you, raging fury at Spencer Rattler. Look at you. You don't usually have strong opinions about anything. It's usually just Tua Tagovailoa and Bengals and Spencer Rattler. How about that? That's that's where (laughs) blind fury coming in from a guy who is usually very mild-mannered in his opinions. (laughs) I mean, I I try try to play like middle ground for a lot of things because I don't want to overreact to stuff because I can see different sides to both things, but 
I just don't see a side to Spencer Rattler ever coming back after what just happened last year and the fact that he's going to a far worse team with a far worse head coach. And I mean, it's just, it's just not going to work. Yes. Yes. Unleash your rage. Unleash your rage on Spencer Rattler. <laughs> Spencer,